air for Fan for Racing Radio here tonight. It is Thursday night, April the 20th, and joining me for tonight's show as co-host is Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you, Sharon. Good to be on for the full edition tonight. Looking forward to it. <laughs> I am too, Andy. Uh, let me just kind of do a rundown here of uh, what our agenda is for tonight for our listeners. In our first half hour, we are going to start with some short track news. Afterward, we will preview both the Arkham Menard Series at Talladega Super Speedway and the Arca West Series at Kern County Raceway Park. Both are racing this weekend. In our next half hour, our guest, Andre Perez de Lara, uh, driver of the number two Chevrolet for Rev Racing will join us and uh, definitely looking forward to talking with him. He comes from Mexico City, Mexico, and is racing this weekend out at Talladega Super Speedway. So uh, super excited about that. Afterward, we will give you some updates from the NASCAR Truck Series. They are not racing this weekend, but we do have a few updates for you. And then in our third half hour, we are going to preview the NASCAR Xfinity Series and then the Cup Series at Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. And, of course, our Hot Topic Sound Off conversation, that will start at 10 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. So, uh, and uh, I'm sure we have a few things to talk about there as well, Andy. Oh, as always, I'm sure it'll be a good one. Always look forward to Hot Topics for sure. Yes, indeed. All right, um, just to, uh, we're going to start, we have three websites that we use for our uh, short track uh, news, Racing America, we also use Flow Racing and Short Track uh, Scene Racing. So uh, let's start with our Racing America uh, highlights here. Uh, They do have uh, the points report uh, for the NASCAR races. But one of the things that I thought was really uh, interesting is Rick Rare Racing uh, tapped Tommy Baldwin for the position of competition director, Andy. Uh, and Tommy Baldwin is a, a very familiar name for us. Yeah, absolutely. Tommy Baldwin, and this is this is a subject that um, I think we, we may have uh, at least touched upon, but certainly nice to bring this up again. Um, certainly a wealth of experience and, and knowledge in the sport. Been around a long time. Uh, Day 2500 winning crew chief has owned his own teams for quite some time. Still very active in the modified division, the wheel and modified. Um, been out of the Cup Series for a bit, but coming back to be the competition director for Rick Ware Racing um, in an effort to try to help that team improve. So I think it's a good hire and, a, and certainly someone that has a ton of experience and, and you have to believe somebody that can make an impact on that team. So should be um, interesting to see what he'll be able to do, but nice to see that name back uh, actively in the Cup Series. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I think they'll up their game with Tommy Baldwin as their uh, competition director. Okay, also, great fields make great crowds. Fantastic racing makes for an epic Northeast Classic at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Uh, uh, Great fields in all five divisions grace the uh, storied asphalt at the Magic Mile uh, and five deserving winners standing proud in victory lane. So if you want to know more about that one, you can read about it over at... uh, 
Racing America, but uh, yeah, that's kind of exciting. They had a lot of series racing there that week, this weekend. Yeah, you know, and I need to pay more attention to the short track stuff. That's my home track. I probably should have made an effort to go, it's, but um, or is that this coming weekend? Uh, I think that was the past weekend. Ah, uh, see. This is why I probably need to pay more attention to this stuff because that's only about an hour from where I live. So, but that's the that's the good thing about short track racing is that there's always stuff all over the country always. on any given weekend, and you know it's really important to, you know, give credit to and, and pay attention to the local short track scene. These are potentially future national series stars, so you know it, it's uh, always fun to see these series in action. Absolutely. Now in the, um, let's see, in the American Canadian Tour for the Northeast Classic, it's uh, 50 laps, and Derek Lukaki from North Dartmouth, Maryland, actually won that race. And then the Pass Super Late Model Race, also 50 laps, it was Eddie McDonald Rowley uh, taking the, uh, oh, from Rowley, uh, Maryland, Eddie McDonald took the win in that particular series. The Open Tour type modifieds, 50 laps. It was John McKennedy from Clemsport, Maryland. Is that Maryland or Massachusetts? I might. It might be Massachusetts, uh, not Maryland. I, I could be. I think it may be Massachusetts. Not 100 percent sure. Okay. Uh, the, well, this one I can get. R&R Race Parts Street Stock Series, 25 laps, Ryan Waterman from Daniston, uh, Connecticut, won that race. And in the Mighty Mini Stock Series, 20 laps, it was Nick, Sa- Nick Anderson uh, from Oxford, Massachusetts, who took that victory. So um, a little tongue-tied here tonight, Andy. Oh, that's All okay. Right. Actually, I'm still working on getting caught up to where we're at with this news, actually. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, let me see. I, it was in the right column at the very bottom. Uh, it, in, it's actually in the middle of the page, but in the bottom of that particular series of um, notes. But I'm going to move on to flow racing now. <laughs> Okay, and we'll go to the news tab at Flow Racing and talk about some of the things going on there. Uh, Elite Motorsports announces a new driver for the Mountain Pro Stock Program. That looks like an interesting-looking car. Um, and it's uh, that Pete Berner is joining the team to pilot one of two Mountain Motor Pro Stock machines competing on the NHRA circuit this season. So uh, that's kind of big news for the uh, Elite Motorsport team and uh, for the Pro Stock, uh, motor, Pro Stock machines competing in the NHRA. Yeah, those are really interesting-looking cars. It's not a series that I'm very familiar with, but I'd be interested to check that out. It, it's a pretty cool-looking car, and, and the NHRA always puts on quite a show, so that would be certainly something to, to keep an eye on. Here's one that I know Jay would be, uh, be happy about. Mike Marler, one of the drivers that he follows, grabs the Castro Flow Racing Night in America win at Eldora Speedway. 
So it's his first career uh, victory Tuesday night at Eldora Speedway. So congratulations to Mike Marler. Yeah, certainly. Mike's a, an accomplished dirt racer, has a lot of experience and a lot of success. Uh, so obviously a big deal for him. And then um, taking a look at the Cars Tour, we've heard a lot about them lately, Sharon, but massive entry lists released for the doubleheader yes. coming up at uh, Hick- Hickory Motor Speedway. It seems like that's a series that just continues to gain momentum and, and gain more exposure and popularity. Yes, indeed. Just to kind of go down the list real quick, if I can. Let's see. There's quite a few on here. Uh, what I'm going to do is look for the people that we kind of are familiar with uh, and kind of go from there. Ronnie Bassett Jr. is on this list. Uh, Landon Pembleton is on the list. Uh, let's see. Carson Quapple is on this list. Tate Pogelman, Caden Honeycutt, uh, Chad McCombie. Uh, let's see, Kale Gale is on the list, Mason Diaz, William Sawalich, Connor Jones, Isabella Robusto from Rev Racing, Blake Lothian from Rev Racing. Uh, let's see, who else do we have here? Jason Kitzmiller, Lane Riggs. Are there any others that you recognize, Andy? Yeah, I'm kind of going down through with you here, and it, um, it looks like you're you're catching all the the names that are pretty familiar. Uh, as I continue on down through, uh, Brent Cruz is a name that I've seen before, um, and uh, certainly those ones you already mentioned are probably um, the most notable. Caden Quapple, I would imagine, must be another um, one of the Quapple family. I'm not sure if they're related right. or not, but I would I would think so. Um, yeah, those are those are a lot of names, and those are all up and coming drivers for sure that um, we've been starting to see make some starts either in the Arkham Menard series or the Truck series. Um, obviously, the Cars Tour is, I think, a good uh, a good place to go and get some short track racing experience or just overall racing experience. And so it's it's not a big surprise to see uh, this many fairly notable drivers on this entry list. Okay, and we're running out of time quickly, so I'm going to move over to the short track scene. A lot of great articles at both Racing America and Flow Racing. If you want to catch up with what's happening at the local short track near you, uh, you can probably find out at either one of those sites. And there's also Short Track Scene. Uh, and they've got the Cars Hickory preview for that Cars Late Model Stock Tour. So uh, you'll want to check that out. Uh, a couple of uh, highlight articles for Ronnie Bassett Jr. and McDonald outpaces the field for that past Northeast Classic Checkers. Uh, we talked about that a little bit earlier. Jacob Gomes, we've had him on the show. He speaks to his third straight SRL Southwest Tour Series win. So congratulations to Jacob Gomes. I'm sure when Sal comes back, he's going to want to bring him back on the show. Yeah, no doubt. Obviously a big deal to get a win like that. So that's uh, pretty exciting for sure. Yes, indeed. Uh, So a lot to look forward to there. Uh, Andy, if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and move on to our uh, Arkham Menard series because we've actually got two races uh, to cover in the Arkham Menard series this weekend after having nothing to cover in this series. Now we've got two races this weekend. Uh, We're going to start with the race 
everything you need to know about Saturday night's race at Kern County Raceway Park. And um, let me just start with this part. Uh, the race is the Napa Auto Parts Blue Def 150 at Kern County Raceway Park Saturday, April the 22nd. 8.15 Pacific Time, that would be 11.15 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be available via live streaming at Flow Racing. A radio coverage will also be available at ArcaRacing.com. It is a half-mile paved oval. They will race 150 laps for this event. The final practice will be from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time. The general poll qualifying a time session will start at 4 p.m. 40 and go until 5 p.m. Pacific time. And then the Napa Auto Parts Blue Def 150 for 150 laps, 75 miles, starts at 8.15 Pacific, 11.15 Eastern. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. So, um, again, this should be a pretty good race. There's 17 cars on the entry list. And um, some of the – you can go over some of the people that have won there, Andy, in the past. Yeah, first off, nice to see the West Series in action this weekend. Um, you know, it's been a yes. bit since we've seen them. Um, let me see if I can find the previous winners. It's about the second paragraph. Let me go ahead and do it, and maybe it's Saturday's uh, event marks the 13th time that the series visited that half-mile paved oval, dating back to 2013. Greg Persley, he won the first two. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) He won the first two. Yeah, Sharon, I can... uh... Okay, I thank can pick you. that up if you want to take a break. Sorry to make you do all the talking for sure. Um, but, yeah, taking a look at these winners, there's, there's some big names here for sure. Derek Krause, the most successful West Series competitor at the track. He won four straight races between 2017 to 2019. Of course, we've seen him make some Xfinity Series starts this year. Other West Series victors at Kern County include Dylan Lupton, Dalton Sargent, Todd Gilliland, Taylor Gray, and 2022 race winner Landon Lewis. These are all names of drivers that have since moved uh, on in their careers. So certainly um, it seems like if you win at this racetrack, it could translate to future success, but certainly, um, you know, a lot of drivers that have uh, made a name for themselves have had success here at Kern County. Definitely so. Uh, now, one thing to kind of keep in mind here is that John Hingarani is uh, the last winner in the ARCA West Series, uh, and he's going to—he's got momentum on his side coming into this race at uh, Kern County this weekend. He's from Newport Beach, California. He scored his first West Series victory in the tour's most recent stop at Irwindale on April 1st. And made uh, made up for a very rough start to his West Series campaign from Phoenix, where he finished 16th after he had a mechanical issue that put him three laps down. So Hangarani will look to make up uh, more ground in the battle for the championship while Tanner Reif, the driver who won that season opener at Phoenix, is attempting to add to his margin at the top of the point standings. So Landon Lewis is the most recent West Series winner at Kern County. He enters the third race of the year, two points behind Reif, in the battle for the West Series championship. And the only previous Kern County winner uh, also entered this weekend, 
uh, is uh, Landon Lewis. So that is certainly on his uh, in his favor. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, Trevor Huddleston. Yeah, he actually, Trevor Huddleston earned his uh, first West Series pole at Irwindale, and he'll once again be back in the uh, the high point racing number 50 Ford with uh, Jake Bowman as his teammate this Saturday. And uh, Bill McAnally Racing, older brother Chandler Reef will also be in the field. Uh, some other notable entries in this race, Bradley Erickson, Kyle Keller, R.J. Smotherman, Todd Souza, that's a name we've seen a lot of recently, Tacoma Koga, David Smith, and brothers Ethan and Eric um, Nascimento. I hope hope I didn't butcher that. (laughs) If I did, my apologies. But nonetheless, uh, quite a few notable names here that are going to go racing this weekend. Should be uh, fun to see uh, how they'll fare. Absolutely. Now, there is a complete entry list that's available over at ARCARacing.com. Normally, we go through that, but because we have another race to also preview here tonight, uh, we're going to leave it to you to check it out over at uh, ARCARacing.com. Now, uh, I said 17 drivers on the entry list for the West. Uh, Guess how many drivers are on that entry list for the race at Talladega, Andy? I haven't looked yet, but I'm going to take a complete guess at this and say 32 cars. Oh, you're very close. 35 drivers on the entry list for the Arca Menard Series race that's going to take place this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. And so it's a pretty big uh, list for the General Tire 200. That race is also Saturday, April the 22nd. Uh, The time is 11.30 a.m. Central. That's local time, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. You can also hear it on the radio via the Fox Sports app, MRN, or SiriusXM NASCAR radio. Now, the track is a 2.66-mile super speedway, 76 laps for this event. And Friday, April 21st, that's tomorrow, they'll have final practice at 3 p.m. Central. Saturday, April 22nd, they'll do the General Tire 200. Again, 76 laps, 202 miles at 11.44 a.m. Central Time. So uh, we've got a lot to look forward to this race because if you remember, um, well, there's some history first. Let me just kind of go through the history. Andy, why don't you go through the history first? of Talladega Super Speedway in the Arkham Art Series. Yeah, this will be the 61st time in series history that the Talladega Super Speedway will host the Arkham Art Series on um, Saturday, April 22nd, for the running of the General Tire 200. It serves as the third race of the 2023 season, uh, coming more than a month after the last race for the series, which was at Phoenix uh, just over a month ago. Uh, the Arkham Menard Series first visited Talladega back in 1969 when uh, Jim Vandiver earned his Maiden Series victory. In the years that followed, many recognizable names have visited Victory Lane at the historic 2.66-mile super speedway, including Ramo Stott, Iggy Katona, Mark Martin. I don't know who that guy is. No, I'm kidding. But Davey <laughs> Allison, Red Farmer, uh, Charlie Glotzbach, Tim Steele, Bobby Gerhardt, of course, won a ton of super speedway races, Frank Kimmel, Justin Allgaier, Ty Dillon, Justin Haley, Zane Smith, Todd Gilliland, 
Corey Heim, and the most recent winner, and this is uh, someone that I've really become a big fan of, Nick Sanchez, and what he's done recently. Um, so, yeah, obviously a lot of rich history with this series at this particular racetrack. The Super Speedway races for the Arkham Menard Series, in my mind, always put on a good show. I'll be watching that one live this Saturday. Definitely looking forward to this race for sure. Yes, indeed. Uh, Talladega has given the Arkham Menard Series 16 consecutive different race winners, so that's pretty interesting. The stars in the cars of the Arkham Menard Series are going to invade Talladega this Saturday, uh, and uh, they have the most recent Super Speedway winner, Greg Van Alts, leading the charge. Van Alts triumphed in the opening race of the season at Daytona International Speedway in February. He was an underdog and not expected to win, so it was a very popular win. Uh, and right now he leads the series standings by 10 points. So another super speedway victory would certainly help pad that lead as the series prepares to enter the heart of their 2023 schedule. His closest pursuer is Frankie Munez. You remember Malcolm in the middle? Well, he finished sixth in the most recent Arkham Menard Series event at Phoenix Raceway in March. So Munez is also competitive at Daytona. He raced inside the top ten for much of the day, uh, but at the end he ended up finishing in 11th place. There's also Venturini Motorsports. They're going to attempt to reassert dominance with a quartet of entries this Saturday. The team is led by Gustine, the only previous Talladega winner expected to compete. Then there's Jesse Love, who's making his Talladega debut this weekend. Amber Balkin and Tony Breidinger are also entered for Venturini. Then there's Joe Gibbs Racing. They filed an entry for Taylor Gray. He'll take the reins in the number 18 Toyota, and this is going to be Gray's his first ARCA start of the 23 season. First with Joe Gibbs Racing, and uh, his first on the Super Speedway. But there's some other drivers, and one is going to be our next guest. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Rev Racing, of course, the defending winners of the General Tire 200 with Nick Sanchez last season will have entries for Andreas Perez de Lara and Jack Wood. Brett Holmes, the 2020 Arca Menard Series champion, will return to the series to race at his home track aboard his own number 23 machine. Jason White, who held the lead at Daytona on the final lap until Greg Van Alst made the race-winning move entering turn three, is back for his second race of the season, and Jeff McClure's number 44. NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour star Patrick Emberling is slated to make his ARCA debut in his own machine, the number 53. And, of course, other notable drivers here that we'll keep an eye on include Sean Core, Christian Rose, Logan, uh, Miss Soraka, Andy Janoskowicz, and Mandy Schick, and Jason Kitzmiller. Of course, the complete entry list um, is posted on the ARCA Series website for the General Tire 200, but a lot of big names in this race for sure, and uh, certainly you mentioned Taylor Gray. Just wanted to say real quick, um, got to keep an eye on him. He had a ton of success when he previously drove for uh, David Gilliland Racing's ARCA program last year. I think that somebody combined with JGR equipment you've got to keep an eye on. Exactly. And... uh, uh... So let me just check the entry list. I want to make sure I'm saying this right. Uh, Andre Perez de Lara is going to be in that number two Chevrolet. And I don't think 
Yeah, I don't see uh, Nick Sanchez on the list here. So he's in the defending car from the last year's win. So that's going to be good news for Andres Perez de Lara. Yeah, obviously uh, Rev Racing has a good program, and, and certainly I'm looking at uh, his team here, Jamie Jones. His crew chief is a name that I've seen around for, for quite a few years in the sport. So having veteran experience in his own team, uh, certainly being with the defending race winning uh, organization doesn't hurt either. Um, and when you combine all those factors together, that in itself I think will – you know, lend itself to hopefully having a good day. So that's uh, someone we're we're going to have to keep an eye on for sure. I think so. You know, he's a uh, he comes from Mexico City, Mexico, and uh, he's a he's a champion uh, from there. So he's got he earned the 2022 NASCAR Mexico Challenge uh, as champion, uh, and he was the 2022 overall winner in the NASCAR Mexico Series. So uh, let's see, 2021, he placed fourth place finish in the NASCAR Challenge Series Championship point standings, and uh, he's a he's he's just a very accomplished driver. And he's been racing since he was 11 years old, if I remember this correctly. Yeah, since he was 11. So uh, I'm looking forward to talking to him here in just a few minutes uh, and uh, kind of getting his uh, take on, you know, coming into the race at Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. Now, also, I wanted to let you know that uh, the ARCA East, is not racing this weekend, but they will be racing next weekend, April 28th, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. There will be a Dover Motor Speedway, uh, Andy, and it will be uh, available via Flow Racing this weekend. Yeah, that's uh, coming right up. So not this weekend, Um, next weekend. Yeah, coming right up next weekend. That will be in conjunction with... Um, the NASCAR weekend going on at Dover, uh, certainly looking forward to that. The Monster Mile is always a fun one, and the Arkham Menards East is always um, fun to watch as well. So looking forward to that, and uh, glad to see them in action. Looking forward to uh, seeing those cars on track. So it should be fun. Arca Racing always does such a great job of uh, highlighting some of their drivers, and there's that. This is no exception. We mentioned Mark Martin being a previous winner, and uh, they've got a feature on him. It's a throwback uh, kind of feature. There's also Caleb Costner and uh, Costner Weaver uh, from Costner Weaver Motorsports, uh, a feature there. Also Frankie Munoz from Rhett Jones Racing, there's a feature. Jason White has a feature. Uh, There's just a lot of great stories. Uh, of drivers of the Arkham and Arts uh, series, both uh, the regular series and the Arca East and West. So if you get a chance, hop on over there and, and learn more about the drivers. So, Andy, I am really looking forward to this next interview that we have with uh, Andreas Perez de Lara. Uh, last year it was Nick Sanchez in that number two. This year it is Andres uh, driving that car for Rev Racing, and he's an accomplished driver uh, from Mexico, uh, and I can't wait to see uh, how he does this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. 
Yeah, and you know, you you hit the nail on the head in a, in a very good car, um, a team that has a lot of experience. Looking at his stats, even uh, just in the Arkham Menard series alone across all three divisions, they're, they're pretty good. I mean, we're talking, you know, this year, unfortunately didn't get to start the race at Daytona, but ran Phoenix with his number two team and finished in the top five. That's a, a very good finish. And, you know, looking down through, uh, you know, the other series, it's every time he's out on the track, he's in contention for a top five or top ten, and that's not easy to do. So certainly somebody that's well on his way toward, you know, a very promising career. He definitely is. Also, his da- did you know his dad was a professional race car driver as well for more than 25 years? He's got nine championships, including a Ferrari Challenge World Championship title and four Daytona 24-hour race participations. So that's pretty cool. Second-generation driver. Well, racing apparently runs in their DNA, that's for sure. That's something I didn't know, but it's easy to see where, you know, he gets his success from, that's for sure. Okay, well, Andreas is here now, so I'm going to pull him into the queue. And uh, first of all, Andreas, uh, we are so excited to have you on the show and uh, to talk to you about the upcoming race at Talladega Super Speedway. Thank you for being here. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Just super excited about this weekend. Uh, heading to Talladega now, my first super speedway race, so really excited. And, and let's see what, what we can do in our number two Chevrolet with Brev Racing. Okay. Now, I know you're a very accomplished driver uh, winning the championship in the Mexico Series, uh, but you mentioned that this is your first time at Talladega. Have you driven on any other super speedway before? Uh, yeah, so I just turned 18, so this is going to be the first ever race in a super speedway. But I did test the car on Daytona uh, the beginning of the year in the ARCA test, and it's such a cool experience. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so since that weekend, I've been looking forward to, to finally get this chance uh, to do it here in Talladega in a race weekend. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so uh, it sounds like you really enjoyed racing at Daytona. And uh, you're in the defending car that won this race last year. Uh, how do you feel about that? Does that give you some confidence going into this weekend? Yeah, definitely. That's, that's for sure extra pressure, but uh, I see more of that as a motivation, knowing that our car, our package for that track is really fast. Nick put it on victory lane last year, so that means that the car is going to be good. I really feel comfortable about what we have. And and I've been I've been really I've been working hard for this. I know I've been studying about Super Speedway, so I think I, I feel ready for it. The team feels ready, and we're gonna try and keep the good momentum for um, Phoenix heading onto Talladega for the Saturday race. All right. Now, um, uh, what what is your what are your goals for Talladega? Is it to keep the car clean, which is kind of tough to do on a Super Speedway? But or is it uh, to go after that victory? Yeah, definitely. We start by keeping our car clean. I think that's the main thing here in Cal- in Talladega. Just run a smart race at the beginning. Uh, definitely staying on the front pack is going to be really important for the last couple laps. And when the last couple laps are are starting to to go and and we're getting close to the checker flag, I'm definitely going to try and and make moves for for the win. It's definitely our goal as a team. Uh, we know 
uh, everything's been everything's ready for me to to go in the track and, and look for the win. You know, so I think I definitely I'm gonna be working for that. But yeah, definitely the the main part here is just to be really smart on the decisions, listen closely to your spotter. It's it's key here in Talladega and. And if you keep a clean, a clean car in the in the front pack uh, for the last couple laps, you definitely have a shot to, of winning it. Okay. Now I know Nick Sanchez came from Red Racing, and he's he's uh, actually racing at uh, in the Truck Series this year. Have you had a chance to kind of talk with him as well to get some uh, tips? Yeah, actually, I I, I did. I, I I did talk to him. Uh, he's he's been helping me a lot this year uh, with Rev. Uh, Brett has a really good program helping our drivers. We have very, very good people, very smart people working on our cars and helping the drivers too. So, uh, as I told you, my study for this race has has been has been uh, uh, big. I've been studying as much as I can, uh, talking to Nick too and and many other drivers that I that I can learn from them and just uh, I'm trying to to soak in as much information as possible for this race and and try and put it all together uh, for the for the last couple laps and, and make some smart choices at the end. All right, Andreas. Now, we have our co-host here tonight as well, Andy Lasky, and I believe he has some questions for you as well. So I'm going to uh, pass the mic over to Andy at this point, okay? Okay, thank you so much. Well, first off, Andreas, welcome. It's, it's a pleasure to have you on the show tonight. Um, just looking through your stats in, in all three ARCA divisions, you've finished top ten every time you've raced a car, which is very impressive. So talk about what it's like to, to be running full-time this season and, and what are your expectations as the season goes on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so definitely uh, my first full-time uh, season in, in ARCA. I'm really excited for that. Uh, Rev car, Rev package has Rev has very good packages for for most of the tracks, so I'm really excited for that. We're gonna be contending for for wins uh, week in week out, and, uh, and that has me really motivated to to keep working hard. Last year I did some starts and it went really good, and and I think uh, it has put me in this position to be able to to work with the Rev guys that uh, just have such a good history in in Arkham and our series and. And they are the champions from last year. So that, uh, as I as I said, it's it's definitely a pressure, but it's more of a motivation for me to keep working, to to keep improving, and and just be working with the team. Um, we're gonna be visiting some tracks that I've never been to. Most of most of them actually. I think of the 20, I've only been to two. So that's definitely a challenge on my side. Uh, almost need to adapt very quickly because I come from Mexico, which the racing there is very different. But yeah, definitely really excited for this year. Uh, it's a it's a really good challenge, and and I'm ready to take on on it and and do it the best as I can. Yeah, that's awesome. We're we're certainly looking forward to watching you do that. Um, your crew chief is Jamie Jones, certainly somebody that has a lot of experience in NASCAR. What's it been like working with him so far? Yeah, great guy. I've uh, been working with him uh, on the shop. Uh, he's He's been in the sport so many years that he has uh, every information I, I can ask him. Like, I, I can ask him many questions, and he'll know the answer for that. Uh, he's he's setting the cars really good. Uh, we're very, we're having very fast cars uh, going to the track. And, and, yeah, I think his experience, he he keeps me calm in, in, very, in very situations that 
that I that it happened during the race, and I think we we are working together really good. We have good communication. He he's patient with my language. Uh, I think that's that's been kind of a barrier here in in the U.S. coming from Mexico, and and yeah, we've been working really good. And uh, only one race in, and 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 I think we have very good uh, working together. And um, and I I think for the next couple of races, we're gonna be keep improving and and working even better together. Yeah, it's impressive. I saw that you finished fourth at Phoenix, so for your first race together, that's very good to get a top-five finish. Um, and then the last question that I have before I send it back to Sharon would be, what's it been like working with your teammate uh, at Rev Racing, Nick Sanchez? Uh, can't say enough good things about him. He's an incredible talent, and certainly you know, it must be very exciting to work with somebody like that as you begin uh, your own ARCA Series career. Yeah, definitely. I, it's It's been really good. Uh, he helped me in the test in the beginning of the year in Daytona. He has been he is go he goes to the shop to rev and and we can talk we do some teamwork and and it's really helpful to have him there. Uh, all his experience in that in that car. Uh, he was here last year, so he knows. Uh, he he still has all the information on the top of his head of what we should be doing for to be winning races. So yeah, uh, I think. He's doing really good in the trucks. So I'm really proud of what Rev has accomplished these last couple of years, and yeah, working with him has has helped me a lot. Also with all my engine, all my crew chiefs and and coaches there in Rev too. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure to uh, speak with you. I'm going to send it back to Sharon, and I think she may have a couple more questions for you. Thank you. My okay. Pleasure. Okay, Andreas, um, you're a second generation racer. And you started racing in karts at the age of 11. What, what made you decide to switch over to the stock cars? Yeah, I think uh, I've been racing such a long time here in, uh, since I started going to see my dad to the, to the track when I was uh, – I, I can even remember, you know. So I've been going through many series. I think that has helped me to adapt better to the cars. And coming to the U.S., I uh, started doing some races in the Legends car last couple of years, and then the Arca starts I did last year. Um, I think with all the experience I have in Mexico, I've been I've been good straight from from the first couple of races. So that's really good. I think uh, every time I come here to the U.S. to race, I just keep getting better, uh, improve, because it's it's definitely uh, different from from what I I've been used to doing. So definitely it's a challenge, but I I, I think I, I've been working good in, in that aspect. Uh, the language, all the communications with my team have, have been improving, and, and yeah, I'm really happy of, of the progress we have been making. Well, I know you guys um, at Rub Racing tend to have a little bit of fun now and then, too. I saw a video. I didn't get to see all of it, but I saw a video with you and LeVar Scott earlier today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that so fans can watch for that video? Yeah, exactly. Our our social media uh it's it's good. We I I think I'm very close to my teammates in Rev and all all my guys working in the shop. We are a very good team in terms of of the people and how they hang with uh, with one another. And our social media uh uh, we're we're working on on content every, every time we can. Uh, so yeah, we rec- I recorded a video with Lavar a couple of days ago about Tal Vega, and yeah. and yeah, it was 
it was fun doing it and and I hopefully it helped me somehow to to keep working on on my co- on my um information and what I know here in the US in Africa. Yes, I think you do very well. Um and uh he, he kind of gave you some questions I guess uh and quizzed you about uh racing in general. Uh how how did you do on that test? Yeah, so um I I think I know a lot about racing. Uh the 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 questions were kind of tricky in a way, but I think I did good. Uh I answered correctly almost all of the questions. And yeah, uh hopefully you can see the video on the Rev Racing account uh in Twitter and and all our social media platforms. Yes, and and they you did it the after after you did the quiz, they did a bloopers part of the, the uh video as well. So, I want to make sure if if anybody looks that up, make sure you stay tuned for the bloopers too. <laughs> yeah. I haven't been able to see it to see the bloopers yet, but uh yeah, I remember it took so many tries that definitely there is a lot of content from the bloopers. Okay. Okay, so uh I I really admire Rev Racing and everything that they've done for, for drivers that are coming up through the series. They've brought drivers like Daniel Suarez and and we just mentioned Nick Sanchez, but Kyle Larson came through that program. Um, I'm trying to think. There's somebody else that's eluding me right now. Oh, Bubba Wallace, of course. Bubba Wallace yep. came through that program. Do you get a, a chance to talk to them at all? Uh, yeah, I, I actually have had a chance to talk to Daniel. He, uh, I really feel uh, that Daniel is an uh, inspiration for me. Uh, he raced in the same team and same series I raced in Mexico and also here in the U.S. So I'm I'm doing... Yes. Uh, I'm working hard to to try to follow his footsteps. He's doing really good in the Cup Series this year, and he is definitely representing Mexico in the best way possible. So I'm really happy of of his situation, and and hopefully we can be racing uh, together soon. All right. So Rev Racing, uh, you're following in some pretty good footsteps there uh, with some of the previous drivers that have come from Rev Racing. And uh, like I said, I've admired them for a long time and uh, really look forward to talking to the drivers that come up through that program. Um, So before you go, I want to give you a chance uh, to give a shout-out to anybody that maybe we haven't shouted out yet. Uh, And before that, I do that, I'm going to let people know, if you want to follow Andreas Perez de Lara on Twitter, his handle is AndreasPLG2. And uh, Rev Racing, of course, uh, you can give them a follow as well because that's where you're going to see the video uh, with LeVar Scott and uh, Andreas as well. So uh, any other shout-outs that you want to make before we say goodbye? Yeah, I just want to thank you so much for the for the interview and definitely thank all my guys working for for to be ready for this Talladega car and, and everything ready for the weekend. Uh, or like everybody working in the car and also in the shop, um, my crew chiefs, my coaches, uh, everybody at Rev, Max Eagle, that has uh, helped me a lot to be in this position, and I really appreciate all his help, uh, and, and definitely NASCAR and the Rev Racing guys. Uh, just big thank you, and follow us on social media, both Rev Racing account and myself, uh, 
andres.plg on Instagram. That's one I, I use a lot. And then also my Twitter that I just opened a couple days ago, uh, andres.plg2. Okay. Thank you so much, Andreas. Uh, it was a lot of fun chatting with you. And uh, we hope this isn't the last time we get to chat with you. We'd love to have you come back again, uh, especially if you get a win somewhere down the road here. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully we can talk about some wins uh, yeah. later later this season. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. But either way, Andreas, uh, we'd always welcome you back to the show, okay? Thank you. Okay. Good luck this weekend out at Talladega. And uh, we'll, we'll, we uh, are wishing you the best. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of the night. Okay. Thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, that is Andreas Perez de Lara. He'll be driving the number two Chevrolet this weekend for Rev Racing. Uh, what a lot of fun that was, Andy. I always uh, enjoy these kind of interviews. Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, an outstanding young man that has a, a very bright future, I feel like, and uh, certainly paired up with a really good organization in Rev Racing. So looking forward now, you know, now that we've talked to him, really kind of excited to see uh, how he's going to do this weekend. I'll be watching that race live and, and looking forward to it, and we'll be pulling for him for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. He uh, He's, like I said, very accomplished in the Mexico Series, and, and you did a good job of pointing out that, that uh, he has also been very successful in the races that he's entered uh, in the Arkham Menard series. So uh, it'll be fun to see what he does this weekend out at Talladega. All right, we're going to move on now to the Craftsman Truck Series. Uh, and they're not racing this weekend, but we are going to give you a few updates here. Uh, their next race is going to be the Heart of America 200 that will take place out at Kansas Speedway Saturday, May the 6th. So it's a couple of weeks that they have off here. And uh, when we get closer to that time frame, uh, we'll be giving you the preview of that race. Uh, but let's start, Andy, from the bottom up uh, with the Sunoco Rookie of the Year update. Yeah, taking a look at our rookie contenders, it's no surprise that Nick Sanchez is the leader with 174 points. He's had just an incredible start to the season, uh, followed closely by Jake Garcia, Roger Carruth, Daniel Dye, Brett Holmes, and Taylor Gray, uh, respectively. So, uh, yeah, quite a start for Nick Sanchez. We talked about him already in regards to his teammate that we just spoke to, but uh, he's had a heck of a start to the season for sure. Yeah, Jake Garcia, too, even though he missed that first race this year, he's racing with McAnally Hilgelman Racing, and uh, he's beginning to cut into that uh, lead. He's had some good runs as well. Uh, he In the last three races, he uh, finished twice in the top ten with a fifth and a sixth uh, and left Martinsville uh, with a 13th place finish, so that's pretty cool. Also, uh, Zane Smith is going to compete this weekend out at Talladega. So that's uh, pretty cool as well. Yeah, Even he'll though the truck the, uh, series number... isn't racing. Yeah, he'll, he's going to be actually driving for Front Row Motorsports, who fields his truck, um, driving the 38 Ford in the Cup Series race. Uh, we've been noticing that uh, Zane's been running uh, a little bit more sporadically in Cup Series starts. Um, he has made four previous career starts in the NASCAR Cup Series with an average finish of 23.8. And, of course, with this being Talladega, anything is possible. 
Uh, so we'll see what he can do this weekend. All right. Uh, now, the Yellow Brick Road is awaiting the NASCAR Craftsman's Truck Series. Uh, they'll be taking two weeks off while the Xfinity and Cup Series tackle the high banks of Talladega this weekend uh, and then head to Dover Motor Speedway. But the Truck Series will jump back into action under the lights at Kansas Speedway. And uh, Kansas has hosted 24 Truck Series races with 21 different drivers posting a win. Matt Crafton and Kyle Busch, of course, lead all the drivers with three victories at that 1.5-mile track in the Sunflower State. Uh, So other uh, drivers, uh, let's see, Toyota trucks lead the pack with the most wins. Uh, They come in at a whopping 11 victories uh, from 2005 to last year, starting with Todd Bodine in 2005, Mike Skinner, and these are all Toyota winners, in 2009, Matt Crafton in 2013, it was Kyle Busch in 14, Matt Crafton again in 15, then William Byron kind of spoiled the party, he came in in 2016 with a victory. Uh, Kyle Busch in 2017, Noah Gregson in 2018, Austin Hill in 20, Kyle Busch again in 21, and John Hunter Nemechek uh, was in 2022. Chevrolet follows behind with eight trips to Victory Lane. Ford has six Victory Lane trips. All right, and taking a look now at um, Wet Weather Tires making their oval debut. Of course, that was last weekend at Martinsville, uh, in which NASCAR got its first chance to use Goodyear's Wet Weather Tires on an oval track in last Friday's Craftsman Truck Series event at the Martinsville Speedway. The treaded tires are intended to allow NASCAR to put vehicles on the track before the racing service is dry, reducing the amount of time fans must wait for an event to start or resume, and that certainly is exactly what they did last week, and it worked out fairly well. The trucks, Xfinity, and the Cup Series have all used rain tires on road courses, but they've never been utilized on an oval until that Truck Series event last uh, Friday night. The race commenced without a hitch, running uh, 27 laps before officials displayed uh, the competition caution, including uh, inducing all the competitors to change back to slicks. But I think that was the whole point of it, Sharon. I thought it worked out pretty good. Um, and allowed uh, that race to resume quicker than had they tried to get it fully dry. Okay, looking back also at last week, the clock strikes Heim time. Uh, Corey Heim triumphed at Martinsville Speedway late Friday night during his very first Truck Series victory of the season. Uh, It was a rain-shortened truck race. Uh, but it was Heim's third win of his career. He won twice while running a partial schedule just last season. Now, the driver of the number 11, Tricon Garage Toyota, is the 10th different winner in the last 10 races at Martinsville, making it, marking it, the longest active streak in the truck series. Uh, he's 20 years old from Georgia, and he swept stage one and two, as well as led 82 of the 124 laps. I'm persevered through both rain and dry conditions and also two red flag periods for weather while holding off the veteran Kyle Busch, who was on the hunt for Kyle Busch Motorsports' 100th win. Now, Bush, the winningest driver in the Truck Series history, finished second, posting his ninth 
top 10 finish in 12 races at Martinsville. It was his third top 10 finish of the 23 season. Now, following suit was reigning uh, Truck Series champion and Martinsville pole winner Zane Smith. He posted his fourth top 10 finish in four races at the Paperclip track and his fourth top 10 finish of this season. So uh, that's all we have for the Craftsman Truck Series. I guess we'll go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series. And, Andy, trust me, we need all the extra time we can get when we get to the uh, Cup Series. There's always a boatload (laughs) of information there. Okay. For the – go ahead. Oh, yeah, sorry. The uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series, of course, is uh, racing this Saturday at the Talladega Super Speedway. And as we take a look – um, at our first segment here, Riley Herbs, of course, uh, who runs full-time for Stuart Haas Racing in the Xfinity Series, will be running in this weekend's Ag Pro 300. And then, of course, coming back to run the Cup Series event on Sunday, I believe that'll be his second career start in which he'll drive the number 15 Ford for Rick Ware Racing. Uh, although he has yet to post a start at Talladega in the Cup Series, he's made six starts in the Xfinity Series, posting one top five and two top tens. Okay, I'm going to give you an update here on the rookie standings, but before I do that, the Ag Pro 300, uh, again, will be at Talladega on Saturday at 4 p.m. is the start time, but FSN will have the pre-race coverage starting at 3 o'clock. Then radio coverage will also be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They will race a distance of 300.58 miles over 113 laps, First two stages are 25 laps apiece. Stage one ends on lap 25, stage two on lap 50. And then for the next 63 laps will be the final stage ending on lap 113. So for the Sunoco rookie update here, uh, with eight races down, uh, the rookie class now heads to Talladega with Chandler Smith leading the pack at 285 points. He sits third in the overall point standings. He's 34 points back from John Hunter Nemechek in first. Uh, Let's see. Sammy Smith holds second place. He's at 254 points, and he's racked up one win at Phoenix, three top fives, and three top tens. Parker Retzlaff, he sits in third at 149 points. He kicked off his 23 season with a fourth-place finish at Daytona and will look to have another great finish at Talladega this weekend, which, of course, is a two-point-six-six-mile track. Closing out the competition is Blaine Perkins, and he sits at 61 points. But we've got Dash for Cash this weekend, too, Andy. That we do, and that should make things uh, even more interesting, um, you know, in terms of uh, aggressiveness trying to go for a win. Last week at Martinsville, Justin Allgaier, Josh Berry, Chandler Smith, and John Hunter Nemechek were racing to the finish line for the second $100,000 bonus prize after Allgaier snagged the first check at Richmond. With the race win, Nemechek took home the money and secured his spot. And the third segment, as you already mentioned, will be this weekend at Talladega, He'll be joined by uh, Joe Gibbs Racing teammate Sammy Smith, SHR's Cole Custer, and JR Motorsports' Josh Berry. Nemechek has made three starts at Talladega, posting two top tens, while his teammate Smith will be making his Xfinity Series debut at Talladega this weekend. Custer has uh, had three Xfinity Series starts, posting a top ten back in 2018. 
Barry has four starts under his belt, posting a top five and two top ten finishes. Okay, there's also some standouts at Talladega. Uh, we know fans can always expect the unexpected on super speedways. That's why they're called the wild cards of NASCAR. But some drivers have learned to hang on until the end or simply have a knack for that action-packed racing. One of those drivers comes from RSS Racing, Ryan Sieg. At 35 years of age, he has yet to post an Xfinity Series win, but he has proved that he can hang out front at Talladega. In his 12 starts at the track, he's posted four top fives, five top tens, and in both Talladega Super Speedway races last year, he posted fourth-place finishes and nearly pulled off his first win in 2020. He ended up finishing runner-up. Keeping the momentum on Super Speedways this year, at Daytona, he pulled off an eighth-place finish. Junior Motorsports' Josh Berry is still on the hunt for a win this season, and Talladega just might be the place where he gets that job done. In his most recent start at the track last year, he posted a fifth-place finish, and in total he's posted four starts with one top five and two top ten finishes. His JRM teammate, Brandon Jones, is still trying to find his groove with his new team. After a solid run last weekend in Martinsville, there's no doubt he's going to be carrying that energy into this weekend's Ag Pro 300. Jones has ten starts at the Alabama track posting three top fives and four top tens. He's almost got a taste of victory at the track in 2018 and 2021 after uh, finishing runner-up in both of those races. All right, and uh, back for some super speedway action. Of course, this is uh, we're going to Talladega this weekend. Uh, we've had some short track racing recently, but now, of course, headed back to the biggest track on the circuit, as far as ovals go anyway, and that's Talladega, which will be the Ag Pro 300 uh, this Saturday. It is at 4 p.m. It'll be broadcast on Fox Sports 1, MRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Uh, this particular super speedway has hosted 34 Xfinity Series races, producing 28 different winners and 23 different pole winners. Only three drivers have won races from the pole or the first starting position. And that's Joe Nemechek back in 1998, Tony Stewart in 2008, and Justin Haley in 2020. Cup Series regular Martin Truex Jr. has posted the most wins at Talladega in the Xfinity Series, but it's Joe Joe Nemechek who holds the most records, most polls with five top tens, nine, and lead lap finishes of 14. I almost said John Hunter Nemechek, but yes, Joe (laughs) Nemechek, of course, had a ton of super speedway success through his uh, then Bush Series and now Xfinity Series career. Uh, laps completed of 2,153 laps led at 202, and is tied with Joey Logano for the most top fives at seven. Nemechek also holds the qualifying record with his 1997 speed of 193.517 miles per hour. The only uh, only one previous winner is entered in this weekend's event. That's Jeb Burton. He snagged that win in the spring of 2021 and led a total of 20 of the 90 laps in that event. In total, Burton has six starts under his belt, posting, of course, the victory two years ago in two top fives as well as three top tens. The Xfinity Series will skip practice this weekend, heading straight into qualifying. That's tomorrow, uh, April 21st at 5.35 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. All right. 
Last but not least, Joe Gibbs Racing is coming in hot uh, with John Hunter Nemechek. He completely dominated his first NASCAR Xfinity Series start at Martinsville Speedway just last weekend. He led 198 of 250 laps and swept all the stages. He put up a perfect driver rating of 150.0, leading him to a second win of the season. You'll remember, I think he also won at Auto Club. Nemechek has had a lot of uh, has had a really hot start to his first full-time season in the Xfinity Series since 2019. He's posted a top five or top ten finish in all but one race. His success at the track thus far has put him out front in the point standings at 319 points. From Mooresville, North Carolina, he will tackle Talladega Super Speedway next, where he has posted two top ten finishes in his three Xfinity Series starts at that track. Although his last in at Talladega in the Xfinity Series was in 21, Nemechek hasn't lost his touch on Super Speedways. In the season opener at Daytona, he posted a second-place finish. Nemechek isn't the only JGR driver who had a standout performance at Martinsville. His teammate, Sammy Smith, was right behind him to post a runner-up finish. He's just 18 years old, and in his first full-time season in the series, he's already become a popular name in the sport. He posted one win at Phoenix and three top fives, along with three top tens, and he's led 152 laps so far this year. He'll be posting his first start at the iconic Super Speedway in Talladega this weekend. So, uh, wow. Uh, Really looking forward to that Xfinity Series race. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. We'll go ahead and move on now to the Cup Series. The Geico 500 at Talladega Super Speedway will be on Sunday, the 23rd of April. It'll start at 3 p.m. Eastern. Television coverage is on Fox starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. Radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 500 miles over 188 laps. First two stages are 60 laps apiece with stage one inning on lap 60, stage two on lap 120. And then the final stage uh, will actually be 68 laps, and that will end on lap 188. You yeah, have a lot of what can you here. what can you say? I mean, Talladega is just—it's going to be fun. Uh, I love the Cup Series at Talladega, and you're right. There's a lot to talk about here, so let's first take a look at the original members of the Alabama Gang that have been named the Grand Marshals for this weekend at Talladega. Uh, the Speedway announced that the original Alabama Gang of members Bobby Allison, Donnie Allison, and Red Farmer will serve as the Grand Marshals and will give the command to fire engines for the Geico 500 this Sunday. The pre-race celebrants are joining the weekend as part of the NASCAR Legends presented by Geico Campaign, highlighting traditions and stories throughout the rich history of NASCAR, which will conclude, of course, with the Geico 500. Fans will get to see the Legends on Sunday at uh, Big Bill's, which is in the Talladega Garage Experience, as the Alabama gang members will have an autograph session that's from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Central Time. And in addition to giving the command after the familiar sight of Johnny Ray's big rig flying the American flag during the national anthem, Donnie Allison will take a ceremonial lap in his famed number 27, 1968 Ford. The car won five races between 1968 and 1970 and had a local tie-in to Talladega with sponsorship from Sunny King Ford in nearby Anniston, Alabama. 
It is being provided for the race weekend by the Garage Shop Performance Fabrication Collection from Catawba, North Carolina. And, of course, the quote here from the Super Speed, Talladega Super Speedway President Brian Critton. He says, to have the original Alabama gang members involved in our pre-race ceremonies is truly an honor. It's going to be a very special seeing Donnie drive around the track during his ceremonial lap. The impact that Bobby, Donnie, and Red had on both NASCAR and Talladega can't be measured and it always means a lot to the fans when they come out to the track. Should be a lot of fun seeing you guys this weekend. Yeah, I was just going to say, and I agree, I think it's going to be a lot of fun uh, watching the Alabama gang out at Talladega Super Speedway. And this is part of the 75th uh, anniversary for NASCAR, so that makes it really cool uh, to bring that nostalgia into the race. All right, also we have the multi-platinum superstar star Cole Swindell. He's going to perform Saturday night in the infield concert at Talladega. He's a longtime NASCAR fan and a Grammy-nominated superstar and will headline Talladega Super Speedway Saturday night infield concert presented by Cabo Wobble Tequila. <laughs> Uh, the multi-platinum singer-songwriter will rock out with the fans for an evening of excitement before Sunday's highly anticipated Geico 500. Now, Swindell's fourth studio album, Stereotype, tallied uh, three back-to-back multi-week number one hits, the platinum-certified Saturday single, Saturday Night, the platinum-certified Never Say Never with Lainey Wilson, and most recently, the platinum-certified five-week chart topper, She Had Me at Heads, Carolina. The new single, Drink a Bee, will be one of the three new songs in his upcoming deluxe album, Stereotype Broken, uh, available on April the 28th. So uh, really cool to see Cole Swindell uh, coming to Talladega Super Speedway this weekend and kind of introducing uh, the next album that's coming out. Yeah, always fun for the fans to have uh, pre-race or race weekend entertainment like Cole Swindell, and I'm sure those who are there uh, will have a good time with that. Uh, not sure if Mike's on tonight, but um, Mike is He's going to be, be at Talladega there. this weekend. Yes, he will, and... Um, I went to the racetrack a couple years ago and had an absolute blast. And so I'm sure he'll do the same. Uh, Taking a look here at uh, Kevin Harvick. Um, Unbelievable to think that this is his 800th career start um, at Talladega. Stewart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick will become the 10th driver at NASCAR Cup Series history to make 800 or more starts in his career this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. NASCAR Cup Series all-time starts list top 10 includes Richard Petty with 1184, Ricky Rudd with 906, Terry Labonte with 890, Dave Marcus with 883, Mark Martin with 882, Kyle Petty 829, Bill Elliott 828, Daryl Walter 809, Jeff Gordon 805, and Kevin Harvick, of course, will make that 800th start on Sunday. Just very, very uh, impressive to see him get to that point. It seems like just yesterday he was making his first career start. Uh, to quote Kevin himself, he says, we've been competitive racing at the front of the pack, leading laps and having the chance to win races. For me, that's the thing that I'm most proud of. And I think from your colleagues and people from other race teams to see that body of work and being competitive across that long period of time, you hear it all the time. I can't believe they've been that competitive for that long. And to me, that's the part I'm most proud of being able to do this at a high level for such a long time. But wrapping your arms around 800 of them is, for me, quite an honor. 
just because of the fact that you've been able to adapt and adjust to so many things and stick around so long. But being competitive is still the thing that I enjoy the most. Getting to that number is great, but getting there and being competitive is better. After this weekend, Harvick will be just five starts shy of ninth place Jeff Gordon and the NASCAR Hall of Famer's 805 Cup Series starts. Harvick also leads all drivers in NASCAR National Series starts uh, Excuse me, entering this weekend with 1,272 career starts, 75 more starts than the second-place driver Joe Nemechek with 1,197. Harvick has made 44 NASCAR Cup Series starts at Talladega, posting two poles, one win, eight top fives, and 19 top tens. That's impressive. Okay, next up we've got JT Doherty's racings. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, is certainly one to watch this weekend. He wa- After winning the biggest race in NASCAR, the Daytona 500, to open this season, uh, JTG Doherty's Racing's Ricky Stenhouse is definitely one to watch as the NASCAR Cup Series heads to Talladega for the Geico 500. Uh, Talladega holds a special place in Stenhouse's heart. Uh, as it was the track, he scored his first Cup Series win in 2017. In total, Stenhouse has made 19 starts at Talladega, where he's posted one pole, one win, and six top fives, along with ten, nine top tens. So uh, it could be a big race for uh, Ricky Stenhouse. Can he do a double here with two super speedway wins? Well, not only will he probably be a factor for a win, but we also have to consider first-time winners because they are very prevalent at the Talladega Super Speedway, and I would expect that to be the case again this weekend. Uh, For example, 2311's racing's uh, Bubba Wallace scored his and the organization's first career Cup Series career win in the October race. I'll never forget that because I was there. Of course, that was the fall race just a couple years ago. In the process, Wallace became the 12th different driver to get his first career win at the 2.66-mile Super Speedway, joining active drivers Ricky Stenhouse Jr. That was back in 2017 and Brad Kozlowski in 2009. First-time NASCAR Cup Series winners at Talladega Super Speedway include, as we mentioned, Bubba Wallace back in October of 2021, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in 2017, Brad Kozlowski in 2009. I think that was the finish in which uh, he and Edwards get together and uh, Edwards went up into the fence and flipped over and uh, I think – he ran across the finish line. Uh, won't forget that one for sure. Brian Vickers, of course, did so back in 2006. Kenny Schrader back in 1988. Phil Parsons in 88 as well. Davey Allison in 87. Bobby Hillen Jr. back in 86. Ron Bouchard back in 81. Lenny Pond in 1978. Dick Brooks in 1973. Richard Brickhouse back in 1969. Wallace is still looking for that first win of 2023. And 10 starts at Talladega. He has an average finish of 18.9. Okay, let's talk about the kings of Dega. The art of drafting on tracks like Talladega is a skill that not every driver can master, but for the ones that learn to manipulate the air to their benefit at nearly 200 miles per hour have found the spoils of victory lane in some of NASCAR's biggest races. 
And to me, I've gone to Daytona. I haven't been to Talladega yet, but it's fascinating to me how close they can run at 200 miles an hour. It's really incredible. No driver has been more successful in points-paying races at Talladega Super Speedway than NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt with 10 wins. He won in 83, 84, 1990. He had a sweep in 91, 93, 94, 99. He had a sweep, and again in 2000. In total, 11 active drivers have won at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, that includes RFK Racing's Brad Keselowski with six victories, 2009, 12, 14, 16, 17, and 21. He leads all active drivers in the Cup Series uh, with Talladega wins. Keselowski, of course, will look to rebound from his last season's Talladega finishes, where he posted a 23rd-place finish in April and a 24th-place finish last October. Now, Keselowski should feel optimistic heading into this weekend. He finished runner-up in the Cup Series last race at a super speedway package, and that was at Atlanta. The next active driver with the most wins at Talladega, well, that's Team Penske's Joey Logano, who has three victories in 2015, 16, and 18. Logano finished 27th or worst in both. Talladega races last season, uh, but he comes into this weekend with some confidence after opening the season with a runner-up finish in the Daytona 500. Plus, Joey uh, has a lone win this season that came down at the newly adapted Atlanta Motor Speedway that is run with a similar super speedway package as Daytona and Talladega. The most recent winner at Talladega, of course, is Hendrick Motorsports' Chase Elliott, who returned to competition just last weekend at Martinsville after he was sidelined with a broken leg from a snowboarding accident. Elliott has two wins at Talladega in 2019 and 22, and this weekend he is looking to become the ninth difference driver to win consecutive Cup Series races at the Speedway. He could join Pete Hamilton with the 1970 sweep, Buddy Baker a 75 sweep, and 1976. And then also Daryl Waltrip had an 82 sweep, Dale Earnhardt in 1990, 93 to 94. He had also a 1999 sweep. Sterling Marlin from 95 to 96. Dale Earnhardt Jr. from 2001 to 3. Jeff Gordon, a 2007 sweep. Ryan Blaney in 19 and 20. Expect Elliott to run well this weekend as he leads the Cup Series among active drivers in average finish at a 14.2 at Talladega. Now, Team Penske's Ryan Blaney is the only active driver to win consecutive races at Talladega Super Speedway with those wins in 19 and 20. And this weekend, the North Carolina native would like to add just another day of trophy to his case. <laughs> well, last season, Blaney finished 11th in April and runner-up to Chase Elliott in October. In 17 starts at Talladega, Blaney holds the ninth best average finish at 16.0 among active drivers. The fifth and final driver with multiple wins that is competing this weekend is Joe Gibbs Racing's Jenny Hamlin. He has two victories at the track in 2014 and 20. And as a three-time Daytona 500 champion, 
Hamlin is known for being one of the best on super speedways. Last season at Talladega, he finished 18th in April, and he finished 5th in the playoff race there in October. Then he was 6th at Atlanta back in March of this year, and Hamlin has the 10th best average finish among active drivers at Talladega at 16.5. So a lot of drivers uh, that have done well on super speedways. Absolutely, and of course, Dega doesn't disappoint. Known as one of the most competitive tracks on the NASCAR Cup Series schedule, uh, Talladega Super Speedway is the perfect stage for the wild side-by-side action that NASCAR fans love, and this weekend's Geico 500 uh, is expected to produce just that. Talladega, of course, holds the all-time record in green flag passes for the lead in a single NASCAR Cup Series event with 219 green flag passes for the lead set uh, back in October of 2013. Talladega Super Speedway also holds the all-time uh, record for green flag passes in a single Cup Series event with 23,765 total green flag passes uh, set back in that same event back in October of 2013. Last uh, season, Talladega Super Speedway was the class of the field in passing, uh, producing 190 green flag passes for the lead, the most in a single event during the 2022 season. Uh, the April NASCAR Cup Series event last season produced the second most green flag passes for the lead in a single event with 125. Of course, again, the race with the most green flag passes for the lead is the October event, and the 2022 Talladega Super Speedway NASCAR Cup Series races produced the two highest single event totals and green flag passes throughout the field in 2022, with the April race putting up 8,025, and the October race had 10,035. So suffice to say, those two races last year were very competitive, and you'd have to expect more of the same this weekend. Yes, indeed. All right. Uh, it's a big opportunity for playoff-seeking competitors at Talladega. Uh, with seven different winners in the first nine races uh, this year in the Cup Series, this weekend's Geico 500 offers a plethora of opportunity for an eighth different winner to pull into victory lane and secure their spot in the playoffs. Talladega has been has seen six different winners in the last six races, including uh, this Sunday's defending winner, who happens to be Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain, and he's still looking for his first win this year. Construction began on what it was then known as Alabama International Motor Speedway on May 23rd of 68. Uh, the first Cup Series race at Talladega was held on September 4th of six. I'm sorry, September 14th of 1969, and the event was actually won by Richard Brickhouse from Rocky Point, North Carolina, driving a Dodge for car owner Ray Nichols. The average speed of the first race at that track was 153.778 miles per hour. The name of the facility changed to Talladega Super Speedway in 1989, and the surface center went its fourth repaving on September 19th of 2006. In total, there have been 107 Cup Series races at Talladega, one series event in 69, and two races per year since 1970. The NASCAR Hall of Famers hold the qualifying and race records at Talladega Super Speedway include Bill Elliott. He holds the qualifying record, which he set on April 30th 
1987 with a lap speed of 212.809 miles per hour or 44.998 seconds around the track. Mark Martin holds the race record with his win on May 10th of 1997 at an average speed of 188.354 miles per hour. Uh, That race was 2 hours, 39 minutes, and 18 seconds. A total of 45 different drivers have won at least one pole at Talladega Super Speedway in the Cup Series. 24 of those pole winners have won more than one, and six of the 45 uh, Cup Series pole winners are active this weekend. The Bush Light Pole Qualifying is scheduled for this Saturday at 10.30 a.m., Eastern Time, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. Active uh, pole winners at Talladega include uh, uh, drivers with two, include uh, Christopher Bell, Chase Elliott, and Kevin Harvick. Drivers with one pole at that track include Austin Dillon, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Martin Truex Jr., The 107 uh, NASCAR Cup Series races at that track have produced a total of 51 different race winners, and 26 of the 51 have won multiple times at Talladega. This weekend, 11 of the 51 uh, Cup drivers uh, and winners are entered into this event. Active uh, race winners at Talladega include Brad Keselowski. We talked about his six wins at the track. Talladega, uh, Joy Logano had three. Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, and Denny Hamlin all have those two wins. Ross Chass, Bubba Wallace, Eric Almarola, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Kevin Harvick, and Kyle Busch all have one win at Talladega. NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt leads the Cup Series with wins at Talladega. He has 10 victories from 1983 uh, through uh, 2000. RFK Racing's Brad Keselowski leads active drivers with his six victories at the track from 2009 to 21. And two of the most recent winners at Talladega, uh, we mentioned Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain won in April last year, and Hedrick Motorsports driver uh, Chase Elliott won in October last year. Both drivers are looking for their first win of the 2023 season this year, and uh, I wonder if Talladega will be their victory. You never know. That's the beauty of this racetrack is you you just don't know who's going to win until the very end because anything can happen. Um, That is so true. Moving on to our last segment here, I think we're going to do it, Sharon, getting this done. But uh, a very fast start yes. for the next-gen car here in 2023. It's uh, once again setting records in on-track action. It's, uh, of course, only the sophomore season for the next-gen Cup Series machine. But it's once again producing some record-setting statistical superlatives in on-track action. Below are just a few of the statistical highlights of the next-gen's performance this season. Through the first nine points-paying events of the 2023 campaign, the NASCAR Cup Series has produced 442 green flag passes for the lead, which is the series most through the first nine races of the season since the loop data statistic was initiated or initially tabulated in 2007, which, of course, is the last 17 seasons. In a year-over-year comparison, the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season with 442 green flag passes for the lead has produced an increase of 7.3% 
over the 2022 season's first nine races with 412 green flag passes for the lead. And that's up 113.5% over the last season with a Gen 6 car with 207 green flag passes for the lead through the first nine races of the 2021 season. Passing throughout the field has also been up this year. The 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season has produced 39,992 total green flag passes in the first nine points ping races of the year, the series most through the first nine races of the season since the loop data statistic was initially tabulated in 2007. In a year-over-year comparison, the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season with 39,992 total green flag passes has produced an increase of 31% over 2022 seasons uh, over the 2022 season's first nine races with 30,533 total green flag passes uh, and up 69.5% from the first nine races of the 2021 season. So long story short there, of course, the 2023 season has, has been more competitive. We've seen more passing throughout the field. Plus uh, three tracks this season that have set track records in green flag passes. Uh, Circuit of the Americas, Richmond and Bristol um, have put on some pretty good shows this season. And the close racing and dramatic finishes this season have resulted in seven different winners in the first nine races. The 2023 season, of course, has also produced an average margin of victory of 1.6 seconds with three of the nine races this season finishing with a margin of victory of under a second. In addition, of course, four of the first nine NASCAR Cup Series races this season have resulted in overtime, and that's Daytona, Las Vegas, Phoenix, and Austin. So with that, Sharon, I have to ask, what are the over-under odds that Talladega will end with an overtime finish this season or this weekend? (laughs) I think the odds are pretty good that it will. Uh, No doubt about that. Okay, uh, let's kind of talk about some of the news here, uh, that uh, things that are happening at Talladega this weekend. Uh, did you know uh, that Ryan Blaney is going to enter the Talladega Walk of Fame this weekend, Andy? I believe I did hear that. Yeah, that's going to be uh, interesting for him to do this weekend for sure. Yeah, so fans that uh, are going to be there, that's going to be a fun thing to uh, take part in uh, this weekend. And uh, let's see if they give a time of when that's going to happen here. I don't see a time. But uh, watch for that when you get to the track. If you're going to the track this weekend, I would definitely watch for uh, that induction of uh, Ryan Blaney into the uh, Talladega Walk of Fame this weekend. Uh, There's so many good things that happen at the track. Um, uh, And this is kind of an interesting uh, note, too. McLaren Custom Grills is going to be sponsoring Kyle Busch in some multiple races this year. Uh, That's a Canadian-based barbecue company. (laughs) That's uh, that's exciting. I believe that's probably a new sponsor, at least to um, at least to NASCAR. So it's always fun uh, when new companies come on board. So we'll look forward to seeing their presence um, in the near future. All right, and also uh, NASCAR in their 75th anniversary year has been naming. Uh, some of NASCAR's 75 greatest drivers list, and the latest one to be on the list is Denny Hamlin. He has 48 Cup Series wins, including three uh, Daytona 500 wins, so that's pretty cool. 
Anything else you see that you want to make sure we mention? Jeff Gordon's going to be in the pace car. Yeah, I did see that. That's going to be fun to see Gordon, of course, at the track, which uh, we've been seeing on a fairly consistent basis with his involvement with uh, Hendrick Motorsports. So that'll be cool to see him uh, in the pace car this weekend. Um, certainly a pretty cool Not moment this for weekend. him. He's, he's, he's going to be in the pace car for the All-Star race. Oh, for the that's right, for the All-Star race. And I saw something about, I'd have to pull it up, but something about uh, Ray Everham was going to be involved in that too. Uh, yeah, he's going to be yeah, the honorary so starter. Jeff Gordon will be the honorary pace car driver for the All-Star race. Ray Everham, the honorary starter. And, of course, how can we forget the success that those two had as a driver-crew chief combination uh, in the late 90s up through 2000? Certainly uh, a dynamic duo, and it'll be fun to see them uh, together um, in honor of that All-Star race in May. Yes, indeed. Um, we talked about Kevin Harvard's 800th Cup Series start this weekend. Uh, and also, this is kind of cool, uh, Beard Motorsports has Austin T- Hill in their car this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway in the Cup Series. He's been, um, he's been very successful in the Xfinity Series this year, so it's good to see him getting a chance to race in the uh, Cup Series this weekend at Talladega as well. Austin Hill is somebody you have to keep an eye on for this Cup Series event. If I recall correctly, they weren't able to qualify for the Daytona 500 in that Beard Motorsports machine, but that is effectively an RCR car. We know what he's been able to do on super speedways in the Xfinity Series, and uh, if they make the field, which I think they will on Sunday, uh, look out. That could be that could be a sleeper pick for the victory. I don't think anyone's picked him yet. Um, we're still working on That's our it. fantasy picks. But uh, I, that's, that's someone you can't ignore, that's for sure. Okay, and one last note here. I know we're at the top of the hour, but Ryan Newman also named to the uh, NASCAR's 75 greatest drivers list. So really uh, cool to see that as well. And not surprising either, I think, when you look at his early success, especially when he drove the number 12 machine for Team Penske early in his career, uh, teamed up with Matt Borland with his crew chief. It's no surprise. They won a ton of polls, quite a few races, and um, I think that, uh, you know, that's a fitting fitting thing for him. It definitely is. So, okay, it is the top of the hour. That means it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off segment. And uh, joining Andy and I is Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hello, good evening, good to be back. All right. Uh, I got the, up to the show here uh, for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and I'll tell you what, Mike, we're going to let you kick us off. What do you want to start us off with? Well, uh News out of NASCAR R&D yesterday, big penalty for the number three team from Richard Childress Racing driven by Austin Dillon. Remember, the number three car was taken back to the R&D Center following the race at Martinsville. NASCAR found something they didn't like with the underwing mounting assembly on there. Austin Dillon has been docked 60 points for the regular season, five playoff points, and crew chief Keith Rodden has been fined $75,000 and suspended for the next two races. Wow. Okay, Andy, a lot of penalties so far this year. <laughs> Your thoughts? Yeah, there for sure have been. Um, 
And this is a pretty interesting one, specifically an underwing mounting assembly hardware. I'm not 100% sure what that would do, but I'm going to guess that it has to do with downforce and drivability in the race car. Uh, nonetheless, a pretty big a pretty big penalty here, and um, this is not the first time we've seen this. Um, obviously, we've documented the Hendrick penalties and the colleague penalties. It'll be interesting to see, though, if this can be reversed. We've seen a trend of penalty reversals. We'll get more on that, I would imagine, in, in another hot topic tonight. But, um, yeah, I mean, NASCAR is making it clear that this car is not to be messed with, and teams continue to push the envelope and, and try to be innovative. But, unfortunately, this isn't a race car that you can be innovative with because it is supposed to be a spec car with spec parts. And, um, you know, NASCAR's I think making it pretty clear that if they find something wrong or manipulated on these race cars, you're going to get penalized for it. So, um, again, not a hundred percent sure exactly what this penalty would do, but I, you know, clearly they did it for a competitive reason. Otherwise they wouldn't do it in the first place. So I think NASCAR was forced to do like they would have done in any other scenario. And that's issue a pretty harsh penalty. But I think the real question is, of course, will any of this be reversed? Because that's, another hot topic that we'll get to. And that's a trend that we've seen this year. So interesting to see um, how RCR responds to this and, and what the ultimate outcome will be. Yeah, this is, uh, it, it's sad to me that we've had so many penalties this year. Um, and I, I have no idea if this, I guess it does affect the uh, downforce in some way. Uh, and when you're going to a track like Talladega, uh, well, this was actually after the Martinsville race, right? So, yeah, I don't understand. But anyway, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense to me that these guys are still trying to push that envelope um, when NASCAR has made it so clear uh, that they don't want anybody um, messing with these parts or pieces, and and uh, they're trying to keep the playing field very level, and uh, everybody seems to get it except for the teams. <laughs> so uh, I I wish we weren't talking about penalties again. I, I wish we were putting the penalties behind us instead of continually talking about it. Uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Uh, Any time a team is caught uh, uh, trying to do something illegal with their car, um, I, it makes me not want to see them win a championship, and that's sad to me <laughs> uh, because I don't want to see uh, people standing on the podium uh, winning a championship when they've uh, cheated uh, the fans and the uh, rest of their competitors. Uh, by manipulating their equipment. So um, I'll be glad when we can move on from the penalties and start talking about the racing action. Mike, what is what are your thoughts? Well, the number three team here, they've really they violated the number two rule of cheating. Number one rule, of course, is don't get caught. The number two rule, though, is if you're going to cheat, at least make the car better by doing it. The, the RCR cars, especially the three, were pretty lousy last week. Uh, they, I don't think that they got any sort of competitive advantage from whatever they did with that car. Now, of course, we've already established that your performance on the racetrack has no bearing on whether or not you should be penalized or not. If you acted outside of the rules, it doesn't really matter how fast your car was or was not. Clearly, the number three car was not fast. 
My guess would be that this mounting thing, it hung the underwing diffuser lower in the air, and which would cause it to get a little bit more of a bite on the air that's moving underneath the car. Remember in the off-season, NASCAR developed this low downforce package for short tracks to include Martinsville, which took a lot of downforce off the cars, and part of that was they removed two of the vanes off of that diffuser underneath the car. So that diffuser had less grip on the air as it flowed underneath the car to make downforce with. If I, and I'm not an engineer, but if I was trying to manipulate my, the air, air around my car, pushing that aerodynamic surface down into the airflow a little bit more might give it a little bit more bite and give it a little bit more downforce that NASCAR had tried to take away. So this is my completely uneducated, speculative opinion, but I think that's probably what the number three team was doing when they made that modification to the mounting point for the underbody, the, the diffuser, wing, whatever you want to call it. Just a guess, but I'm, I'm thinking that's probably what they were trying to do there. With regard to the penalties, I'm with you all. I, I think I said it a week or two ago where the stories that we've got out of the 2023 season, very few of them have anything to do with racing, and that's got to change. The biggest stories of the year are either penalties or Chase Elliott getting hurt, and that's it. I, the racing has been unremarkable for the most part. And the big storylines, it seems like week after week after week, is tr- controversy off of the racetrack that has nothing to do with competition, and we need to fix that. I'm not sure how, but we need to fix that. The focus has got to be back on the racing. And I know you all talked about it with the last episode um, where Clint Boyer was he was pretty vocal about how lousy the short track racing has been lately. And that's something that NASCAR has got to address. I know they've taken steps to do it, developing the, the aerodynamic packages for short tracks, which apparently are not, is not working at least as well as intended. But the focus has got to be improving the racing product so people like us who, you know, whether it's a, a, a blog radio show or NASCAR race hub or anywhere in between, we're talking about the on-track action that is happening during the race and not the BS that's happening off of the racetrack. That's what's got to change here. Andy, your follow-up. Yeah, I, you know, I certainly don't like seeing all these penalties. You know, it, it would like to get away from that if at all possible, but, um, you know, until until we can see these teams really get hit where it hurts, you know, I'm not so sure you won't continue to see the pushing of the envelope, you know, with these continued penalty reversals or at least partial reversals, it's really not teaching any valuable lessons. It's basically teaching teams that, yeah, I might get penalized, but I'm probably going to get most of, if not all my points back. So that's got to change. And thankfully they did make a rule change recently that, you know, says that, if if a penalty's been issued that includes suspensions, a monetary fine, or points, all three of those still have to stand to some degree. You can't take all of one of those components away. So that's a good step in the right direction, but you, you've got to make these penalties hurt to the point where teams will be afraid to to push the envelope to where they won't get penalized, and then we're not going to be talking about this because that's – now the third major penalty from a third different organization um, that we've heard of this year, and we're only, what, a quarter of the way through the season. So, um, yeah, we've got to find a way to get off these topics and on to the topics at hand 
which of course I think with this being Talladega this weekend, undoubtedly we'll be talking about probably the on-track action. Mike, I know you're going to be there in person. That'll be pretty cool. Um, Talladega is a pretty special place, and hopefully whatever happens on the track this weekend will be focused on that on Hot Topics Monday and not some uh, penalty. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I agree. We've got to we've got to hit them harder on these penalties um, to keep them from continually doing it. Um, and points seems to be the biggest thing that impacts um, these teams. Uh, I don't even know if taking them out of the race, uh, suspending them for a race or two is going to do it because you've got drivers like uh, uh, Kyle Busch, who were out, he was out for 11 races and still won the championship. Uh, Chase Elliott uh, is going to be out for six weeks, and now he's back. He certainly has the potential to still win the championship. Uh, so I don't even know that suspending them from a race is going to help. We know that suspending the crew chiefs means nothing. Um, so I really think it has to be the playoff points and the and the uh, point standings. Uh, that I, I don't even think the money makes a difference. I, I think it's got to be the points uh, that they've got to hit them with a hammer in order to get this penalty stuff to stop. Um, and I'm not blaming NASCAR for the penalties. I'm blaming the teams for pushing the envelope uh, beyond where they should be pushing it. Um, I also feel like there's a huge disconnect because I listened to people uh, on Godfather Moody's show last week, or earlier this week, I guess it was, uh, talking about how great the racing was at Martinsville. And yet uh, the TV coverage... <laughs> doesn't seem to line up with what people are seeing at the track. Uh, There's a problem with that because we've got a perception that the racing has been terrible, and yet, Andy, we just went over the green flag passes for the lead and how much better it is this year than it has been over the last two years. So there is a disconnect somewhere, Uh, and... I, I, we're seeing on TV what's actually happening on the track, and we're not getting a broadcast that's telling us uh, what the statistics are telling us. So there, there's a, a perception problem right now for NASCAR about what's happening on the track, and that has to be fixed, I believe, as well. So I, I do think that the racing has been better uh, than what we're being led to believe. So that's my perception of it, just based on the stats that we're getting. Uh, and I know that Clint Boyer is, is one of the people in the booth. I like Clint Boyer, but I, I don't think it was a really good idea for him to come out with that criticism. Uh, again, I wish they would take some of their criticism behind the scenes instead of making it so public, because I saw post earlier today on Twitter, and it was kind of like, this is the guy who's supposed to be promoting the sport, and he's saying this. Uh, (laughs) What's wrong with this picture? So, yeah, there's a disconnect there, and uh, that has to be fixed, too. Mike, you get the last word. I can't help but thinking, if everyone's getting penalized, then really nobody's getting penalized. If you think about it from that angle, if everybody catches a 
call it a 50-point, an average of a 50-point penalty through the season, no one's getting penalized because we're all right back where we started at. So I'm with y'all. It it seems like there's really no meaningful way to penalize Cup Series teams in a way that's going to change their behavior. Uh, Obviously, money doesn't matter. These guys don't care. NASCAR's not going to penalize them in a way that would cripple the team. Um, And $100,000 to Rick Hendrick? That's not a huge deal for him. He, he, can, he spends that at Barrett-Jackson on a weekend. That's not a problem at all. So money's not a problem. Points we've already established. If, if most of the top-tier teams are catching large points penalties, that equalizes out to where it's not really a big deal either. So what can you do? About the only thing you could potentially do would be to suspend the driver, but now NASCAR's got a PR problem. Say the number nine team gets caught with something. Is NASCAR really going to suspend Chase Elliott? Look at how how much they promoted him being back from from his injury. Every other TV commercial during the NASCAR race with Chase Elliott in it was, hey, Chase Elliott's back. So you really think that NASCAR would suspend Chase Elliott? I don't think so. They would lose way too much notoriety and publicity. So they're in a really difficult place here as far as enforcement of their rule book and what to do about it. Clearly, the current penalty structure is not providing an effective deterrent for behavior that they're trying to change, but there's not a whole lot left on the table for them to do in order to get that change across. What's the solution? They're going to have to get creative about it, but I'm not sure what what other uh, tricks they have in their bag. Okay. Uh, Andy, you get to uh, bring up our next hot topic. Uh, yeah, another big one, of course, coming out this week, but Colleague Racing gets uh, points back from the final appeals officer. Um, let me just pull up the actual tweet here to get the numbers on that. Um, so in a statement from final appeals officer Bill Mullis, in the interest of fairness, NASCAR has requested that I remove the driver and owner race and playoff points from the penalty to Colleague Racing. I have agreed to this request per the rule book during its opening remarks, NASCAR stated it believes that the violations did occur, the penalties were appropriate, and the three-person appeals panel ruled correctly. But because the colleague infraction closely mirrored that of Hendrick Motorsports, which was a modified mover at Phoenix Raceway, NASCAR requested I rule in the same manner as the three-person, three-person appeals panel following the Hendrick Motorsports appeal on March 29th. The information I heard in the room this morning created an overwhelming and unique circumstance in fairness to the team and sanctioning body as NASCAR documented in its remarks. This request is fully in the interest of fairness and consistency, and I agree. So, therefore, they got all of their points, both driver and owner, reinstated following the Louver penalty that stemmed from Phoenix. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Once again, a story about drama and penalties that are going on off of the racetrack. Um, but I'm not sure what else they could have done in this situation. Like, uh, like the statement Andy just read, the Hendrick Motorsports appeals panel and the Colleague Racing appeals panel kind of tied NASCAR's hands here where they had to go with the lesser of the penalties in the interest of fairness. Uh, that was the big question after the colleague appeal was ruled in a different way than the Hendrick Motorsports one is, how is this fair? How is this remotely fair that these two teams did allegedly the exact same thing, received the exact same penalty, 
but the appeals process granted a vastly different outcome. It's difficult to make a case that that was fair unless they wanted to get really transparent, kind of like what Jeff Gordon was talking about that we discussed a couple shows ago, and get really detailed about what Colleague Racing did versus what Hedrick Motorsports did, and was there a fundamental difference in the way the rule was broken that led the appeal to go one way or the other. Based on NASCAR kind of walking back their, their request via the final appeals officer, it sounds like there wasn't that fundamental difference between the infraction from Hendrick Motorsports and the infraction from Colleague Racing. So, yeah, in the interest of fairness, they had to go and say, make these, make these appeals line up, make the enforcement line up with, you know, consistent from, from race team to race team, if for no other reason than to remove any perception of favoritism for Hendrick Motorsports or any kind of detriment to colleague racing. Is it the right thing to do? I don't know. Tough to say. I haven't seen the evidence beyond what's been reported in the media, so that's all I've really got to go with. But at this point, hopefully this matters behind all of us and we can get back to talking about racing. Yeah, I think it does more to um... – reduce the detriment to colleague racing than it does to uh, address the uh, favoritism to uh, Hendrick Motorsports because that still stands. Uh, and I think where the, appeal, the appeals panel, I think, got it right with the colleague racing uh, penalty, they got it wrong, uh, I think, with the Hendrick Motorsports penalties um, and overturning those points and everything. Uh, it created, I think, another perception that if you've got the money, uh, you can fly your way out of the uh, points penalty. And that that still remains. That does not change. That has not changed. Um, and But I think it was appropriate for NASCAR to make this request to this in this final appeal from Colleague uh, and to the appeals officer, Bill Mullins, uh, to make this request that they make it similar to what happened at, uh, with uh, Hendrick Motorsports. Um, and I think they really didn't have any other choice but to do that. Uh, again, in all fairness to the college racing team, it was an unfair uh, disadvantage for that organization. And I think NASCAR did the right thing there. Um, I, I do. Um, I, I was wondering if I do like that there are these statements now uh, from the appeals panel, and uh, that the transparency is now going to happen with why they're doing the things that they're doing. And I, I love the part that I really love the most about this is that the request came from NASCAR to the appeals panel to make this right for colleague racing. Uh, and I, I, I just am happy that NASCAR made that request uh, to keep everything fair uh, between the teams because uh, otherwise it was an unfair advantage for Hendrick and uh, uh, an unfair disadvantage for colleague. So they, they got it right. Andy? Yeah, you know, I hate to say that they got it right, but they did get it right. And I think that in light of the Hendrick Motorsports penalty reversal, they had to do the same thing for Colleague Racing. But ultimately, I completely disagree with both penalty or point reversals in both cases. Yeah. I think that 
points are the only thing that really matters. The money sure, certainly doesn't matter um, to these, you know, especially a Rick Hendrick. You know, Matt Colleague is also a, a wealthy businessman. These these monetary penalties are a joke, quite frankly. And and so are the, the crew suspensions. I mean, we live in a day and age where technology, you know, runs the show. And, you know, a crew chief is, is already conversing with – they call them the war room or, you know, race, you know, headquarters back at the shop where the masterminds are all talking and working through race strategy and decision-making. So even a regular crew chief at the track is, is really still making decisions in conjunction with other people back at the shop. So point being that with technology, what it is today, you know, the regular crew chief can simply go back to a nice office in the shop you know, with a laptop and radio, whatever, and can basically maybe even more effectively do their job than, you know, they would at the racetrack. So a crew chief suspension is a joke as well. So really the only thing that matters is a points penalty because if you, if you, if you take enough points away from, from a team for a, a tough infraction or, or a manipulated part or component, um, you can make their season difficult. You can put a team in a must-win situation, and I thought the original penalties did a good job at that, and NASCAR's you know, appeals process negated that, unfortunately. So I, you know, I think that in the case of colleagues specifically, it was the right thing to do because of the precedent that was set, but I think it was the, the wrong decision to, take, to let those points penalties go away. So hopefully – you know, now that we've got this taken care of, you know, hopefully, like in the case of Austin Dillon's team, you know, I I look at this scenario um, closely because you have to hope that the penalties upheld or at least mostly upheld. And, you know, if you start taking away substantial points, maybe the teams will get the hint. I don't know. But, um, you know, clearly, and what it tells me is there's a, a lack of respect from these race teams to NASCAR because NASCAR sets forth the rules and says, we don't want you to mess with these next gen parts because they're all supposed to be spec parts and they still do it anyway. So, you know, maybe if you, if you make the penalty severe enough, they won't do it. I mean, it's like anything, if you make it, you make it hurt enough, then you're probably not going to try it. So that's what I'd like to see moving forward. Okay. Mike, your follow up. Well, this whole thing has been kind of an ugly ugly situation for all parties involved. Obviously, the team's getting caught modifying parts and breaking the rules. It's ugly on their part. They look like cheaters. Whether you want to consider it cheating or not, depending on whether it was a competitive advantage, it doesn't really matter. They broke the rules either way. So it looks bad for them, but it also looks bad for NASCAR because they go they issue a penalty – but then the, the penalty gets overruled by an appeal. So NASCAR ends up looking like a big loser here. Hopefully this kind of ends that chapter and the perception that the inmates are running the asylum with NASCAR losing several appeals, high-profile appeals, hopefully this is behind them and NASCAR can kind of regain control of the situation and feel like they're the ones driving their own ship here at this point because up to, up to now in the season, it's kind of felt like it was the other way around where NASCAR could issue all the penalties they want, but the teams would go to an appeal and get most of the penalty overturned or at least reduced. So 
NASCAR, hopefully, it, with this, they, they're regaining the control of their own enforcement situation, and we can see a little bit more stability with it going forward from here. Okay. And, Richard, uh, Children's Racing is planning to appeal. Their statement says, we are disappointed in the penalty that NASCAR issued to Richard Childress Racing following the recent NASCAR Cup Series race at Martinsville Speedway and plan to go through the appeal process. Uh, so, again, we'll see what happens. Uh, they will face a three-member appeal panel, and it's probably going to be different than the appeal panel that was for Hendrick Motorsports, for Denny Hamlin's case, for, you know, any of the other cases that have gone through the appeal process. So um, we'll see what happens this time around. NASCAR did modify their appeal or their uh, their uh, rules with regard to all of this, and they cannot change one part of the appeal. Is uh, I don't know, was it Andy or Mike that brought that up? Uh, they have to go through the level uh, across the board with that uh, appeal if they modify it in any way. So we'll see what happens. Um, and, uh, Andy, you brought up a good point with the fact that w- I think we all agree uh, that NASCAR did the right thing um, and that uh, by with the penalties that they assessed, but somehow there's a disconnect with the appeal panel in understanding uh, how important it is to hold on, hold on to those points penalties because – uh, those are the things that mean the most to these teams, uh, and uh, I hope uh, that they do the right thing here with this appeal process uh, that is going to happen with RCR now. Again, we don't know all the details uh, that surround all of this. NASCAR is trying to be more transparent uh, with all of the information as it regards to the penalty, as well as to the appeals process. So I like that, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, with regard to this appeal. Okay, Andy, you get the final word here. Yeah, not not a whole lot to really add, just other than we'll be curious to see how these penalties are handled moving forward, um, you know, and, and hopefully they just become less and less of a storyline as the season continues. And, uh with that, Sharon, Andy. of course, down to uh, the ten twenty-eight mark. So I'll let you yes. do your uh, <laughs> do your thing. Thank you so much. I just realized it myself. Um, we do an announcement for all of our first-time listeners at this time. We're going to go off the air at exactly ten thirty p.m. Eastern time, uh, and we didn't want you to be caught off guard when we're still talking uh, as we go off the air. What's going to happen is we will continue to record the rest of our conversation, and that part of the conversation will be part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. I will go out on Twitter and Facebook and let you know when that podcast is available. And uh, from that point on, at your convenience, you can go to the player at fanforacing.com and just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Uh, So, again, we wanted you to know not to be caught off guard and to know how you can hear the rest of the conversation uh, once that happens. So uh, I hope that helps. And, uh, Andy, um, uh, did you have anything more that you wanted to say there? No, no, that actually concluded my my follow-up, so I'm good on that. 
Okay, so Mike, you get to bring up the next hot topic. Well, we've talked about penalties a lot so far, and one that I'm surprised we didn't hear anything about this week was any kind of a penalty on Carson Hostovar for his actions during the truck race on Friday. If you all remember, at what ended up being the end of the truck race, Carson Hostovar was involved in an incident on the racetrack where it appeared that he tried to uh, right rear Taylor Gray, but because the I believe the left rear tire on host of ours truck was flat. He didn't have the leverage to really knock uh, Gray's truck out of the way, and he just ended up spinning himself. NASCAR held host of ours for two laps at the end of the truck race, but it ended up not mattering because the rain fell during that caution period and it ended the truck race. So should Carson host of ours have been penalized beyond the two laps on the race? Okay. Andy, your thoughts? Um. Yeah, the short answer is yes, I think so. I'm not sure that the two-lap penalty really does the the deed justice. In you know, one could argue either way, I suppose. Was it intentional? Was it not? I know in the broadcast, Michael Waltrip tried to play it off as, well, he cut his left rear tire down. But, I mean, let's face it, Carson Hostovar has a history of doing really silly things on the racetrack uh, including right-rearing people intentionally. So if this was the first time that this had been done by him, you might be able to overlook it and try to justify that it wasn't intentional. But given his history, you know, you have to think that it was possibly intentional. And it's really unfortunate because Carson Hosevar is a talented race car driver um, but continues to shoot himself in the foot, you know, fairly consistently and starting to gain notice from – you know, not just his peers in the, the Craftsman Truck Series garage, but when you've got Cup Series uh, stars like Denny Hamlin calling you out, then there's a problem there. So, um, you know, you know, also, and, and I know maybe Hamlin's not the best example there. <laughs> to, you know, Paul calling the kettle black maybe for sure. But I guess the point is when, when you got Cup guys, when you got Cup guys taking notice of your on-track antics, then – you know, probably not a good scenario to be in. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, maybe he needs a lesson taught to him or I don't I don't really know what further penalty you would do, but, you know, maybe, maybe you know, the rest of the field should start racing him the way he races them and maybe he'll get the hint. I don't know. But it's really unfortunate. We see this with not just him but other drivers that, you know, kind of acts kind of ridiculous at times on the racetrack and you know sometimes you have to have them put in their place so you know maybe he'll get it over time but we continue to see some pretty ridiculous moves from him and hopefully he'll hopefully he'll figure it out before his career's over with yeah andy you you read my mind there (laughs) with the uh you know calling the kettle black um Anyway, uh, moving on with regard to Carson Hosovar, uh, I, I, I wish um, that more of these drivers uh, spent time turning the wrenches and building these cars and, and having an appreciation for these cars. Somebody brought that up as a reason for why a lot of these drivers have lost respect for one another uh, is because, the, and, and that have an appreciation for taking care of their car. 
and the expense that goes along with taking care of that car is because they don't have to pay any of that expense or they have no idea of how much time it takes to correct and, you know, to repair uh, their machines. So I don't know. Maybe that's, that's what we should do as a penalty for some of these guys is they've got to spend the next uh, however amount of time in the garage learning how to take care of their car because um, obviously they have no regard for it. Um, and, and I'm talking a little bit with my tongue in my cheek with, with saying that, but there's a part of that that I really am sincere about as well. Uh, I I just um, am very frustrated with these guys using their equipment, uh, their cars, their trucks as uh, a means of settling a dispute on the track. It, it's dangerous. Uh, it's disrespectful, and it's not just respectful to their teammates. Uh, it's disrespectful to their equipment, it's disrespectful to their crew, it's disrespectful to their owner, to their sponsors, and and on so many different levels. Um, and it's just not the way to behave. Um, and and uh, especially as a professional in this sport. Uh, and again, I almost wish that we had people kind of pulling these guys aside and giving them the riot act, if you will, uh, for being so disrespectful. Uh, and I, I wish uh, that that would happen more often. Uh, and maybe there's a respectful way to sit down and have that conversation. But at some point, uh, it has to it has to be a conversation that makes a difference in their behavior. Mike. You guys know how I really like precedent. So this is where I feel a little bit of precedent broke down. Speaking of the pot that called the kettle black, earlier just this very season, NASCAR penalized Denny Hamlin, I believe it was 25 points and 50 or $75,000. This is off the top of my head, so if I get the numbers wrong, bear with me. But NASCAR issued that penalty to Denny Hamlin for intentionally wrecking Ross Chastain. And it wasn't an egregious intentional wreck. Denny just took his hands off the wheel, slid up to the outside of the racetrack, and pinched Ross Chastain against the wall. I would say that a right rear, an intentional right rear hook on somebody, is a far more egregious act of trying to wreck your fellow competitor than just letting go of the wheel and pinching somebody against the wall. I understand that Martinsville is a slower track than Talladega, Texas, anything like that. But at the same time, a right rear is a right rear. There's no time when it's acceptable to intentionally right rear somebody, even if you're not successful in doing it like Carson Hosfar did. And this isn't just that NASCAR decided that, no, he didn't do anything wrong. We're just going to call this a racing incident. NASCAR recognized that he did something wrong. They held him for two laps during the race. They recognized and penalized him during the race for intentionally wrecking a fellow competitor. And the fact that they didn't go back and issue a further penalty in accordance with the rule book for the intentional wrecking of a competitor is a bit of a head-scratcher here because, at least in my opinion, Carson Hosevar's attempt to right-rear Taylor Gray was far more egregious and potentially dangerous than Denny Hamlin just pinching Ross Chastain against the wall at Phoenix. So where's the line? I would say 
right rear is a red, you know, a blaring red light, red flag, whatever you want. That is about the worst thing you can do because it has the greatest potential to seriously injure somebody, especially a track that's faster than Martinsville. So if an intentional right rear on somebody, you should, they should have to have a really good reason why you shouldn't spend the next week on the couch. So that's kind of where I'm at on this. I'm, I'm, I'm with you all. I am sick and tired of drivers using their car as a weapon and, and intentionally hitting their fellow competitors, whether it's under caution, uh, under green, either way. It's one thing to have a racing incident. You race the guy a little hard. You don't leave him room. That's racing. But to intentionally turn the wheel and do nothing but hit the other guy with the intention of spinning him out and wrecking him, that's unacceptable. That's got to stop. And it's pretty obvious that the, the message hasn't been delivered to certain drivers, namely Carson Hosevar in this case, because like Andy said, this is not his first incident. This is not an isolated incident. He has been had the message sent to him, and he clearly hasn't received it. So they need to up the volume a little bit, and I think they missed an opportunity this week to do it. Okay, Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, really, you know, Mike brought up a good point, and, and something that I agree with is, you know, drivers, I think, that continuously do – you know, things like right rearing or intentionally wrecking others probably need the same thing done to them a few times. And then they'll understand that, Hey, I, I probably shouldn't do this. You know, I, I tend to think that if Carson Hosevar was sent intentionally into the fence a few times and, you know, he'd probably get the hint. And unfortunately it probably hasn't been done to him enough. So I'm not advocating that we see, intentional wrecks all the time but i am a fan of you know drivers being taught lessons especially when they do the same thing over and over and over again without repercussion and uh you know i think that a, maybe a couple of good jolts for him would would teach him a lesson and it's a shame because we're talking about a driver here that uh, came into the series with a lot of potential just a couple of years ago and i think was was pretty popular amongst the fan base, you know, in terms of somebody that could potentially be successful and, and have a good career. But, you know, these these antics that he's been pulling in the last year or two have really, I think, soured um, a lot of people's in, impression of him. So hopefully he gets it together and, and gets his head right, because if he doesn't, then he's going to be out of the sport a lot faster than he, than he thinks. Yeah. Um I I really think that NASCAR, I'm not trying to defend NASCAR because I don't agree with what happened here. I think there should have been something more. But I'm saying what I am going to say is in NASCAR's defense, I do think that they were trying to deal with the situation during the race versus coming out with a penalty later on. Um, the other thing I think that they, what they probably should have done is parked him immediately and then maybe even suspended him for the next race. Uh, but uh, with regard to Denny Hamlin, the difference, I think, for Denny Hamlin and the reason why he got that penalty is because he went out on his podcast and admitted that he did it uh, blatantly, and that put NASCAR kind of in a box where they had no other choice but to penalize him. But I agree with you, Mike, that they should have done something more here. Uh, I, 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 and like I say, I, I, if it had been up to me, I would have parked him immediately and he wouldn't be racing in the next race. 
because NASCAR drivers don't like it when they can't uh, be behind the wheel of their machines, and I don't think that their teams like it very much either. So um, he would get some pressure from his team, his owner, his sponsors, and everybody else if he's missing a race because of his antics on the track. So uh, NASCAR, I know they're trying to deal with it immediately versus later, but I think they could have done more in this particular case. Mike, you get the final say. I'm not sure that it was Tony Stewart, but if it wasn't, this still sounds like something he would say, where sometimes people just don't get their face punched enough. And maybe that's really what some of these drivers need to correct this behavior. NASCAR, we've already talked about the, the ineffectiveness of NASCAR's penalty structure and how most of these penalties just roll off guys' back. They don't care too much about the points. They don't care at all about the money. Their crew chief being suspended, whatever, he can call in from the, from the couch, etc. But getting punched in the face, just, it's just got that, that secret sauce to it that, that might just fix a problem like this. So if Carson Hosevar got the Austin Hill treatment and, and somebody had a little bit of discussion with, uh, with his cheekbones, that might maybe change the, the behavior because clearly NASCAR's steps to change it via their penalty structure haven't done it. So, and I, I just got done saying I don't want guys to use their cars as a weapon. So, no, I don't want to see people wreck Carson Hostovar because that's what he does to other people. That doesn't make it right. Carson Hostovar should not be right-reared or otherwise wrecked on the racetrack. But if he gets his face punched on pit road, I'm not going to shed any tears for the kid. He's got it coming. Okay. That's the difference between girls and guys, I think. <laughs> but anyway, we'll move on. Um Okay, Andy, our next hot topic. Yeah, and this this one would not be written down because I think we've covered uh, everything in the hot topic segment so far. But I was just reading on um, online that uh, Johnny Sauter makes his return to the truck series, replacing Caden Honeycutt at Roper Racing. Did you guys see that? Yes, I did see that. Mike, your thoughts? It is what it is. Um, Johnny Sauter is obviously the former series champion, but in his final years at Thor Sport, he did, to put it diplomatically, he had some forgettable times there. Um, to be less diplomatic, he was terrible his last few years at Thor Sport. He got pushed into a part-time situation, then pushed into a no-time situation. But then again, Caden Honeycutt has not been doing anything particularly notable in that truck either. I'm not so sure that it was a, a, a driver issue. It may have been some driver issue. I think there was a lot of equipment issue involved there as well. So putting Johnny Sauter in the truck, maybe he's bringing additional funding and sponsorship with him to, to maybe improve the operation. That's usually why these changes get made like that. It's just, it comes down to a money thing. I don't know the, the particulars of the details, but to be honest with you, I don't expect that truck to suddenly become a, a, race, a race win contending truck. I could be wrong, but that's just kind of my take on it. Okay. Um, yeah, I like Johnny Sauter. He's a Midwest driver from Wisconsin. Um, and I, I know he had a, a decent career in the in the truck series. He's won championships there. But you're right. At the end of his career, it, it wasn't the best. Um, and it certainly, you know, 
it's certainly going to be difficult for him to have a good race in, in the equipment that he's going to be racing in this weekend. Roper Racing um, uh, could be bringing him in to get some advice on how they can improve their program. Um, and Caden Honeycutt certainly didn't have any uh, runs in that equipment either. So we'll see what happens. Um, and, uh, you know, it's nice to see Johnny back in behind the wheel of a truck, but um, uh, I, I don't know if he's going to be able to do much in the equipment that he's going to be racing in. So um, uh, we'll see what happens. So I, I don't really have a lot more to say about it. Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's kind of a, in my mind, it's a bit of a disappointing situation, and, and that's nothing against Johnny Sauter, but Johnny, no. you know, has had, he's had his time, you know, to 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 make his career what it was, and and certainly as a veteran driver, I think he will possibly bring some, maybe some new ideas and, and maybe help that team, but um I'm a fan, especially as it pertains to the truck series, of seeing young guys get their shot. And, and I think that Caden Honeycutt is a talented young race car driver. I mean, he actually was running really well at Bristol Dirt, earned a top 10 finish there, started third. Um, you know, this is a guy that has actually, I think, probably overachieved a bit. Just looking at his stats, he didn't qualify for Daytona, but he um, – he ran 25th at Vegas, 33rd at Atlanta, had an issue there, but 15th at Austin, Texas isn't too bad. Um, 9th at Bristol Dirt, uh, Martinsville, they struggled at 28th, but this is this is a team that isn't known for um, – they're not, they're not known to be front runners, at least not that I've seen. This is a team that typically – I think is is pretty underfunded, runs mid or near the back of the pack. So I'm not so sure you can place all this on the driver here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what, trying to see what race they didn't run. There was a race they did. I think it. I uh, can't find it. Um, it looks like they didn't run Texas for some reason. But anyway, um, he had a six race deal with the team that was announced when when this deal came to fruition back in January, and he ran six races with the team. It's too bad that they weren't able to put together a full season. Um, You know, again, I do think this is a kid that actually has talent and could potentially succeed, but unfortunately um, the team opted to move in a different direction. So I, you know, nothing against Johnny's daughter. Certainly if he can help that organization, then by all means, that's a good thing. But, um, you know, he's already had his time and, and had his career and, you kind of enjoy, at least I do, enjoy seeing, you know, new guys maybe get a chance to prove themselves a bit. And I feel like, you know, Caden didn't really get that opportunity to to fully showcase himself. So I'm disappointed about that. But, you know, if Johnny can can bring something to that team, then then so be it, you know, and, and hopefully it's it's positive in the end. Okay. Mike, your wrap-up, or not wrap-up, but follow-up. You know, I'm usually the the pessimist here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna change gears. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna take the optimistic look on this thing. And the way I do that is I'm gonna point at the number 25 truck of Rackley War Racing. That truck was lousy. 
they were a back-of-the-pack, back-marker, not quite a starting park, but not a very solid truck until they brought in Matt Benedetto. Uh, Matt did not bring funding with him. They, the only thing he brought was his several years' worth of Cup Series experience. That's, that's really all he brought to the truck. And now that team, I, they're not. I don't think they, they might be a dark horse for the championship, but they're much more of a contender than they ever have been. They won a race last year at Talladega. They've been in the running at several other races just because of the improvements that Matt Benedetto brought to that truck, that energy, the experience, et cetera, that he brought. So maybe, maybe bringing in an experienced veteran driver like Johnny Sauter can have a similar effect for Roper Racing, and maybe they can improve that program to get – additional funding, better equipment, better strategy to improve that truck, to, to be that competitive truck that they're currently not. So that's my optimistic take on it. Yeah, <laughs> excuse me, and I, and I agree with you. I think that that, that uh, Johnny Sauter might be able to give some uh, good feedback to an organization that is obviously struggling right now. <laughs> excuse me. And, I, you know, I, there's not a whole lot more I can say about that uh, other than what you guys have already said. So, uh, you know, as a, I, I like Johnny Sauter. I'm looking forward to seeing him back in, in the truck. Uh, but I agree with you guys, too, that he's he's had his time to shine. I wouldn't look at this to be an experience uh, that's going to put him in the su- sunlight, if you will. Uh, I think this is more of an experience that is going to be a support to that team. (coughs) But let me just say this, and you alluded to it, Andy, (coughs) and I apologize for coughing. I'm losing my voice here. (coughs) I I do think that uh, Caden Honeycutt, uh, it's kind of unfortunate that he was being cut off of the team Oh, so quickly. A lot of times these drivers need a lot more time. I hope he gets another chance in, in maybe even better equipment uh, to maybe prove his skills. <clears throat> and I don't know all the details about why uh, they let him go to begin with. Uh, but Johnny Sauter certainly will bring some money to the organization and hopefully some tips to help them get improve their program. Uh, and hopefully we'll see Caden Honeycutt and get another opportunity somewhere else. <clears throat> so uh, that's all I'm going to say. Andy, you get to wrap it up. <clears throat> and, again, I apologize uh, I don't really, for my coffee. I don't have any follow-up to this one. I think I'm good. Okay. So let's go ahead. Mike, did you have any last things that uh, maybe are real quick here that maybe we can do one go-around? No, I'm actually really glad that one ran long enough because the well is dry. I've got nothing to bring up here. Okay. Um, You're absolutely right. I think we've covered all the topics, and we'll go ahead and do our roundtable. Mike, we'll start with you. So Mike underscore is on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Ladies and gentlemen, the moment is upon us. Tomorrow, I will embark on my trusty steed of a Chevy Equinox and make my way two hours eastbound to Lincoln, Alabama for Talladega Super Speedway. 
the happiest place on earth. Forget that Mickey Mouse operation down in Florida. Talladega Super Speedway is the happiest place on earth, and I'm going to be there this weekend grinning from ear to ear, and I can't wait. All right. I hope you have a good time, Mike. Andy. Uh, yeah, CB14 fan on Twitter, and uh, I can confirm that Talladega is the happiest place on earth. The place is special, Sharon. If you haven't been there, I would recommend it. And, Mike, don't forget to take out time for your old buddy on the race chats if you can. But I, if not, I totally get it. You're going to be having a blast there, and uh, it should be a fun weekend. All right, and safe travels to you, Mike. Uh, and, uh, again, I hope you enjoy the race. Um <clears throat> And, no, I have not been to Talladega. I have been to Daytona uh, several times. I think I went five consecutive years to both races, and uh, I really enjoyed every one of them. So I I have an appreciation, but I know it's not the same uh, being at Talladega as it is at at Daytona, so I will have to get down there at some point. Uh, I am Pamper Racing site on Twitter Fan for Racing Blog and Radio over at Facebook. And uh, we had Andreas Perez de Laura on the show earlier today. And uh, it was an enjoyable conversation. I'm looking forward to seeing him race on the track at Talladega this weekend in the race winning car from last year, the number two from Rev Racing. So uh, I hope he has a good run uh, this weekend at Talladega. And um, if you haven't had a chance to hear the interview, it's at the top of our second half hour of tonight's show. Uh, Go back and take a listen to it. Uh, He was a lot of fun to talk with. Uh, Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, we hope you come back for our show next week, uh, both our review show on Monday night as well as our preview show on Thursday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time for both of those shows. And uh, to our Fan for Racing crew, Andy, thank you so much for standing in for Jay tonight as co-host. We were able to – we got through our uh, preview uh, notes in record time and even had a little bit of time left over. So thank you for that. Oh, of course. Yeah, I always enjoy doing the full show. Happy to fill in for Jay and, uh, you know, definitely uh, looking forward to doing some more. Well, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I really appreciated you uh, being here. And, uh, of course, to Mike, uh, as part of our Hot Topic Sound Off uh, Triangle again here tonight. So, uh, again, uh, I believe we're ready to call it a night and look forward to our weekend of racing out at Talladega Super Speedway. And don't forget, we've also got the Arca West racing at Kern County Raceway Park this weekend as well. So with that, guys, let's call it a wrap. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.